Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. We'll tear your soul apart. And this week is no exception as we are now balls deep into October, <laughs> so we're doing our traditional thing of looking at horror movies and uh, this one's been a long time coming. It's, it's one of James's favourites. It's a movie that I don't have too fond of memories of. But we thought let's 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 put it under the microscope this week for our special Hellraiser episode. Oh my god! Finally, it's time to find out why a man would stick so many pins in his own head. <laughs> did he do it himself? No, no, he did it because of the god of Leviathan, mate. We're going to get into that. <laughs> Clearly, one of us around this table <laughs> knows a lot about the Hellraiser franchise, and the other is a complete novice. So hopefully, we'll cover all the bases in this show. But the thing, it's weird. Like this time has come up brilliantly because recently they Hulu has just launched. The remake or the reboot or the, the retooling is probably the best explanation I've given it. After, and this is no joke, about 50,000 years they've been talking about doing this remake. Big budget instead of this. Everything we hate about films, Dimensions, mm. uh, Weinstein, they've all had their horrible little toes in this fucking franchise. This is the ultimate. We'll make it so we can keep the rights. So one day we'll make a better film further on ahead. This is basically Hollywood at its most dickishness. And they've been holding this franchise down, in my opinion. It's finally time. So, yeah, we're going to look at the 1987 original and we're also going to look at the new Hulu uh, exclusive uh, Hellraiser that's just come out. Uh, But we will talk about the movies in between because there's about 10 sequels in there. Uh, And James will kind of guide us through what makes this franchise great. And and I will admit, a good, like, I I suppose, purpose of this podcast has been to revisit certain movies. We have a penchant for the 80s and... Hellraiser came out in 87, so uh, it was. I, I suppose it fit the purpose. It did fit the purpose, and if you go back a few weeks, we kind of did something similar. I've always associated the film E.T. with being ill, and so as a child, I never really got the childhood fascination that people get with it. We did the episode, re-watched it, and then realised, you know what? I was so wrong. What a magical piece of storytelling, and that's why we redo these films. You know, we'll do the greats, we'll do Hellraiser, <laughs> we'll, we'll do the in between. <laughs> so you watched ET again and had a newfound appreciation a newfound for it. Because I've you watched, were so, you I've, were so like, you were so enthralled with it. The way you spoke about it was like delightful. I've watched Hellraiser again. <laughs> I can't say it's the same experience for me. Um, but we will dissect it. We will get into it. I am looking forward to discussing it. This is obviously Clive Barker's passion project, his passion piece off the 1986 novella, A Hellbound Heart. Which I've read. I've done I've, all, the, all the background reading I've done. I, I love Clive Barker. I would hate to know him <laughs> because, especially his artwork. He's, mm. he's a talented artist. I, I know someone who has some of his art. Of then I don't know how they sleep at night. Mm. I would assume it comes back to life during I, the night. I and believe, kills people. I believe was purchased at a horror con. Um, <sighs> That's yeah, awesome. Where I think he was there selling it. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, weird bloke. I mean, if he starts saying, I had this dream last night, I'd be like, no, Clive, seriously, <laughs> don't. I'm right. not bothered. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you want, what do you want for tea? That's all I'm interested in. Other than that, you can fuck right off. If this is your first time, uh, do hit that subscribe button. You get a new episode each and every week. And this is episode 216, meaning there's over 200 episodes for you to go back and enjoy. Each week we take on a different theme. Sometimes it's a, a movie uh, in particular. Sometimes it's an actor, a director, or a genre, or whatever, really. Some silly, some serious. No script, no agenda. We just talk about films. Film fans for film fans. That's the whole point of this podcast. At the end of the episode, we will discuss whether or not Hellraiser 
or the reboot uh, sequel for, uh, that's just come out deserves to go in our acclaimed Sorry mm. Massey Vault, the, the safe best, haven. Best of the best, mate. The best of the best in that. And as James alluded to last week, ET, but of recent weeks, we've looked at streaming services. We've looked at things like, I mean, we did Independence Day not too long we back. We did. We, we've also tackled Blade recently. So, mm. you know, we're, there's no mythical creature we won't touch with a blade. <laughs> nice. There you go, toyed. So let, let's let's hit the ground running because I think if someone downloads this episode, they're a Hellraiser fan, the horror fan. It's October, like I said. October's really it's 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 up there with Christmas for me in terms of doing this podcast. The best months to do. Yeah, the only problem is you might limit yourself to maybe a genre. Like we ain't talking about romantic comedies no. in October. Yeah, I mean we tried to talk about Hubie Halloween last year and um, we yeah. nearly quit. Yeah, uh, but, I, uh, I would genuinely quit. We, <laughs> we've done, you know, last last year we did things like we did the paranormal, we did monsters, we've done slashes, we've done possessed dolls and demons and everything in between. So did, however, a, did a quiz last year, you trapped me in an old blockbusters as I recall. That's, that's <laughs> on its way. We do have our play-by-play interactive episode, our big super quiz episode, which we do every year as our spooktacular, which will this year come out just before Halloween. Nice. Um, but this week, yeah, Hellraiser. Now, before we go into it, we go into all the facts and, and the kind of the play-by-play and what happens in that movie and recapping it. Let's just go back. I saw Hellraiser easily way, way, way too young. I'm with you there, mate. I'm, I saw this film. I had no idea what was happening. Right, let's be honest. When you're in your informative years and you're growing up, when is the right time to see a man with no skin basically walking around? <laughs> It's it's weird. Yeah. And to and this this movie this movie went through like heavy cuts to get it on screen to what it is. It did. It did. And I do, I do, I remember reading uh Clyde Barker's kind of tales of that where um there were five key scenes that needed to be cut including a spanking scene. And I thought in a movie where people get impaled by chains and hooks and ripped apart and blown up and skinned, flayed, stabbed and hammered, yep. spanking is too much. <laughs> spanking is too much. No mate. spanking please in this movie. Um but it, I remember the I remember the poster first and foremost. It's I remember the um, w- what is now known as Pinhead, but we will get into the fact that he's never actually called Pinhead. No, not in the not in the first two films. To the third movie, yeah, it becomes later, and even then, it's like they call him Pinhead as an almost insult. He's got pins in his head, but and Clive Barker hates that. Yeah, he absolutely hates that. It's like he's the, the hell priest or the lead centerbite, which is what he's uh, credited as in this mm. film. Yeah, I think he had another name as well, didn't he? He was the Hell Priest, the Priest. Yeah, he, he has Wasn't it the Cold Breath or something the, the as well? The Cold Man as well. In the books, he's labelled as the Cold Man. And also the leader of the Order of Gash. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, suit you, sir. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we'll go on to that in a bit. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I, I remember seeing that poster. I remember seeing it. I, I think at the time, I'd probably seen Halloween. I'd seen... Um, Freddy Krueger, definitely. I think I'd seen a couple of the Friday the 13th. This, this was one of them films where, like The Exorcist, it kind of had like a, we shouldn't be watching this, we're too young. Yes. It was a sleepover. Someone had a copy. It was like whispers. It was like, don't tell anyone, we've got Hellraiser. We're going to watch Hellraiser this week. So I was around the sleepover and the guy next door to the guys, so I, I think it was my, my friend was Joe. I stayed over, stayed over at Joe's house. Joe's neighbour collected horror movies. And he was like, and he was like oh, I'm having a sleepover, can I borrow some films? And he lent us Oh, the one that the car comes to life. Oh yeah, car. So the, the Stephen King. Yeah, the yeah, Stephen yeah. King one. The only thing I remember about that is shit wipes um, off. That line that he tries to be badass. He's like Cheryl. No, not Cheryl. <laughs> I've done it again. Yeah, he's good coming to me. Um, and Hellraiser three. So watch these out of order as well. So there you go. It's, it's a bit different. Just there you go. A bit of history. There's a Stephen King book. There's the Buick Eight book, and then I can't remember the other one. It's the Chevy Christine. It's, the, it's Christine, Christine, isn't it? Yeah, it's Christine. What did I say? Sharon. 
It'll do. <laughs> it's a sequel. <laughs> Third yeah. one, Karen, mate. I think <laughs> I want to speak to the manager, then I'm going to kill you. No, I, I think this is a Hellraiser for me was one of the movies where I think I saw it way too young. And then I, and I never really revisited it because why would you? Right from the start, I was like, ah, that's a bit intense. There's a lot of skin in, there's a lot of flayed people. Mm. This dude looks like he's got some issues he needs to talk about. <laughs> he's hanging around with the wrong group of people. Like they're all wearing leather and they've got these weird, like exposed, like gashes. Every time he moves, like fucking, like, fucking weapons come out. Like you wouldn't want to be around when he sneezed. It's just like a fucking load of chains with hooks I know. zip out. He's not a party figure, I'll be honest. Doesn't seem too fun. Never seen him wear a hat. <laughs> never trust someone who doesn't look good in a hat. There you go. But I, so I never really wanted to revisit. So I do, I genuinely think that today, or this week, sorry, watching Hellraiser was the first time I've seen that movie in 20 years. Oh my God. Do you know, and also I thought about you when I was rewatching it thinking Aaron's hating this. Aaron says, and we'll get into it. But uh, I didn't watch this with Esther. I put it on and I forgot how incredibly gory the first four minutes are. I was just like, oh yeah. Yeah. It, just well, it is. This, it's Esther. all beginning and then all end. And, yeah. and, in the middle, nothing. And then, so the, and my, my, what I was going to say though, is in 20 years, what's really fascinating is my memory of what was in that movie is completely changed. Mm. Because I, and I think I've somehow just merged the second film and maybe one of the sequels, like four five or 10 or whatever yeah. it is. And because rewatching this week, how very simple and and uh, house horror it is. And I love house horror. I like, you know, movies like the 70s and the 80s, which predominantly takes place in one house, a haunted house. It has that feel to it. Um, and I was surprised actually that this movie, although set in London and there are some external shots, the majority, the evil and the, and the stuff that happened, happens within a building. Mm. And I thought there was all sorts of stuff in this film. Like I thought they went to like other dimensions in those different worlds. And, and I was like, oh no, this is this is a lot more low-key. Still the skinning. Yeah, still. Oh yeah, definitely. And also a thing that everyone gets wrong about this, and you'll hear more about it, is that the Cenobites barely in it. Pinhead, who is the character, when you said Hurry, he always said, oh, Pinhead, Pinhead's in it for like, it was something like, she was like eight minutes. Yeah. He's only in it for eight minutes. He's, he's technically like, he's the first to die. He's a bitch. <laughs> but Doug Bradley, mate, was like, I'm going to make this fuck, I'm going to make this career. I'm going to turn this eight minutes into a fucking career. Watch me. <laughs> I mean, it is a lasting impression. Yeah. I mean, he, like I say, and he barely lifts an arm. He do. barely does anything. Well, so here's the things about that I was actually going to talk about later, but I guess as a good echo point into it, we live in a world where the slasher, the horror movies, um, October is dedicated to it. In the cinema, we're getting Halloween 3 again. Mm. <laughs> which Halloween is what, Kills, is it? Halloween Kills, which is the third attempt. But also when they branched the storyline, technically the third, third Halloween mm. film. Anyway. Number one in the cinema at the moment is Smile. Smile. And so you've got a whole month dedicated to all these type of things. We love Scream. We love Mike Myers. We love Jason. You know, we've got all these things. But Pinhead's the bitch. Like, no one talks about really... There's something about him that is not top tier, which I've always disagreed with. And one of the things I quite I quite find menacing about him, so Freddy's over the top, he's cartoonish, which is why his series is is a joke to me because he gets too cartoonish. Jason X is too mobile. No, Jason X is, but yeah, Jason. That, that's what I mean, Jason, but he's always like moving. <laughs> Mike Myers, always moving, slow, methodical. Pinhead doesn't move unless he has to. He's mm. like, mm, I'll get a chain. <laughs> he's ultimately a hero. Because <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do, but I think that's he's quite menacing in his stance. And there are some, and I think more expertly in the first two films, there's a scene later. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. 
No, I'll, I'll save it because to me, it's a great scene which shows how menacing he is. Well, Bradley said, didn't he, when he took on the role that he wanted to make him stronger physically and mentally than Jason uh, yeah. and Michael Myers in particular. And it goes back to that Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter thing, isn't it? That if you can make eight minutes of screen time Oscar worthy, and I'm not saying Doug Bradley does that with Pinhead or yeah. set lead, the lead Cenobite, but... I didn't, for the purpose of this, we'll call it, well, any of those will do. So, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I think there'll be a dial people there that are scratching yeah, their skin me. off going, don't, <laughs> don't call him Pinhead, he's not called Pinhead, but you know, it's just a pop culture reference, but... You know, I, I think he does very well in the little time that he has. And even the scenes that were cut, I was reading around it this week, I was like, well, there were five key scenes cut. But even those didn't really involve Pinhead. No. So Pinhead's not the villain. He is the comeuppance, technically, at the end. Yeah. Then that's what, that's what everyone forgets about the story. Like, oh, he's evil. Technically, no. But we'll get into it. This, <laughs> what I love about Hellraiser is I genuinely could do a thesis on it. I could literally write 20,000 words. People dis mm. disagree with me. Massive debates. I, I die on that hill. So horror is one of the one is one of the most fascinating uh, genres because a lot of it, it, it it's closest, I think, it's, it's closest narrative is fairy tale often. Yeah. Now, if you think back to Grimm Brothers, you know, rather than Disney, but it, it, a lot of it uh, goes back to kind of fables and, um, and fairy tale. And, all horrors as well have a, a surface storyline, which is normally, you know, quite, quite bang, scares, blood, guts, ah, screaming. It's adrenaline. It's a release that when you leave the cinema as a group or an individual, you feel like exhilarated because you survived, you know, and you, you endured that. That's why we go on roller coasters. Yeah. And um, so it has an attraction, but underneath horror always, always has a subtext and a, and a you know, and, you, it, and it depends if you want to go find it. There are films like, you know, Halloween where... Carpenter, the director, will say, no, 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 it, is, it was just a slasher movie. But other people will see that there's actually a subliminal storyline in there and there's a, you know, there's, it's in lace with metaphor and stuff. And horror does tend to have that. You know, you look at something like Exorcist, the real existential story. Sorry, there's an existential crisis of someone losing faith. And mm. and actually that's the main story. The possession is the second story. The, I, I think, love that about The Exorcist. I'm going to come in strong on Hellraiser is that these, in that... I I almost would prefer it more if these guys were just you fucked about with a box, so I'm a come like skin you. Like and do you know what I mean? Like if it, because all the if, if it was played by Vinny Jones, yes. Yeah. <laughs> fucking skin you. If you it, prick. Because it's the it's the second storyline, the you know, the pursuit for pleasure or the or experience and getting to a point where pain and pleasure are intermingled, now, yeah. indistinguishable, unfathomable from each other. But people that are going to the far ends to figure that out and yeah. to find that, it's that bit I can't grasp. Yes. Because all I see is <laughs> these villainous Cenobites come into a room, not running, very kind of, you know, slow paced, mm. and then kill you. Yeah. I don't see him coming in and tickling anyone <laughs> or like, dessert, yeah. or massage <laughs> what, what or it? going, oh, you know, because, you know, because. <laughs> but if they're explorers of sensation, which is what they explain. But it which, seems very much if, towards one end of that yeah, scale. of the pain. I like to think that if you open the box in a different way, they come in with some DVDs. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> like, go watch this. <laughs> have you felt how soft this is? <laughs> this is cashmere. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, I didn't know I, that. I'm laugh you so much that it hurts you a little. <laughs> He's like, he's raw by Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> Stand on these Legos. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they go straight to the change too quickly. They do, do you know what? That's weird. That's something I agree with because other people's pain thresholds are too much. People ah, no, that hurt too much. There's no mm. pleasure in that. Let's <laughs> start Just, slow. Let's start slow. A bit of a, like spank. Stub me toe. No, yeah. no spanking. No spanking in this film, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it, it just feels a bit like they... they 
I I don't I don't believe this whole you know explorers of pleasure and pain and sensation. They hmm. they, they to me they are sadistic torturers. Hmm. Well, also as well that and this is the thing that really really kind of irritated the censors for this film is that it's set in the eighties but is about sexual exploration as well. Like like the whole idea like so we, we meet a character called Julia and there's, there's a line in it. What I love about it is when every time I watch it I do get another layer. And the last few years, I've really been obsessed with the lay that that there's a line in it because there's some Americans in England, and yeah. the, the line from Kirsty, who's you know a young teenage girl, you're free spirited, and she says, "All you British people are frigid." And and then Steve, who's plowed her full of liquor at this point, is like, "I'll show you we're not." And he's like, "Oh, that's a bit awkward." But Julia as well finds herself man in Frank, a alpha male who's dominant and not sexually repressed to to the person who married Larry, who's literally a damp squid. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but I really like that when I'm watching it now, I see other instances of like these kind of barriers going against each other. And then when you find out again, like you see about, when you hear about the scenes that were caught, you go, oh, it was more sexual. Mm. Like, like you said, I was writing my notes today and I was, and I was listening, I was been reading. I was like, I fe- you, at the end, you see a man get ripped apart. Yeah. But they had a problem with spanking. <laughs> spanking. And there's a thrusting scene where they're no, only allowed three. You're only allowed three. Two. Yeah, two thrusts. <laughs> Third makes it porn, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he's odd, isn't it? I fucking love the rules, mate. I love them so much. It, I, I would love to work for, like, in, obviously over here in the UK, we had the BBFC, mm. you know, and, and what a job that is, is to watch a film and be like, that's too, too much. Too much no, Yeah. <laughs> too much petting. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, famously cut out in Sodomy. Because they wanted to show ultimate, uh, ultimate submission, and they thought, well, fucking hell, this is a weird episode. The act of anal sex was was too much, and they were like, no, no, get rid of that. Stick another stabbing in. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then that's where, and then they replaced it with a scene where Frank undresses with a switchblade. Switch he cuts her clothes off, so she's naked in front of him, like completely at his mercy. He's like, yeah, that's a lot better than a bit of bomb. <laughs> <laughs> it's you fucking weirdos. Nowadays, it'd be perfectly acceptable for them to have a bit of a bomb. <laughs> Just Pinhead comes out of nowhere, he's like, not the bum. <laughs> that said, not even us will go that far. That's a no-go. <sighs> yeah, I, it's a weird movie. Like you say, it's uh, it's set in England. It's um, it, but American cast characters like Frank, Sean Chapman was completely dubbed. Yeah, and, and that's it, really, and obvious, really obvious, isn't it? Which uh, is a shame, because I think, he, I know that you can't find an undubbed version, but his performance, other than his voice, is pretty spot on. I believe Frank's an arsehole. <laughs> I, what I also love about that as well is, is Sean Chapman plays Frank. Oliver Smith plays Frank the Monster, a.k.a. Frank Skinned. Yeah. And what I really like is that they looked at Oliver Smith and was like, you look more like Sean Chapman without, without skin. skin. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but he goes through a metamorphosis because there's four stages of Frank. There's normal Frank, mm. there's mouldy Frank, yeah. there's muscle Frank, and there's juicy Frank. <laughs> there you go. What stage of Frank are we at now? <laughs> that's, that's a nice game to play. I like I like I like Frank when he's uh, when he's when he's bloodied and and muscled and, and so then decides to wear but, white shirt. Wears a he wears a suit <laughs> because people won't accept people people won't believe him. You <laughs> won't take him seriously if he's naked. <laughs> oh yeah, let's so this movie a basic plot it's a, it's about a family who find themselves. Uh, so you find a puzzle box and open it. So it's it's like a gold Rubik's cube looking thing um, with no instructions or no real idea of how to work it. But if you Fucking fiddle it about enough, it apparently, <laughs> unknowingly you do unleash hell. Um, or in the form of this case of these cenobites, which are these grotesque creatures that do not know the difference between pleasure and pain. The film also has a narrative about an affair about, about uh, regarding a character called Julia, which is played by Julie Higgins. Um, Claire Higgins. 
Claire Higgins, sorry. Who, <laughs> such sorry. a nerd, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> so, who is on the side is having an affair. Her lover has opened the box. He's since perished and she's now trying to bring him back to life by feeding him victims. It's weird, isn't it? It's a bit weird. <laughs> when was the last time that you was like, I don't know, Jason film and you're like, what's, what's the meaning? <laughs> like, we go, it just cuts people. I I, uh, I don't want to be that guy, but is the book better than the film? No, the book's not. The book's a short story. It's not that very good. And because of the wild success that happened, um, Clive Barker refused to write about Pinhead. And he finally wrote another Hellraiser book. Mm. He was so pissed off with Pinhead, he killed him in a way that no fan of that book would ever see him coming back. He gets obliterated by Lucifer, like in a very, I'm going to fuck you what way. Right. There you go. Because I know, yeah, I did I did read this week that um, he wasn't even the main Cenobite, was he, in the books? No. Butterball was the lead Cenobite. With all these names as well, obviously, are, are named by fans or the makeup artists. And most, and I really like that. All these names, like the, the woman's called Deep Throat, but that's because of the horrible gash, that, we'll go gash, gash. gash that she's got in her throat, which is... Uh, which great. But the actor herself, she put a lot of, and in the sequel, it's played by a different actress, but they both give themselves backstories, which are really interesting. Mm. But there's a comic. What's weird is this series was a lot more popular than you realise. It had comic books, it had all of these things. The one thing they didn't keep up with, at the height of its popularity, they then decided to make direct to DVD sequels. And Dimensions, like they always do, refused to let go of it. Yeah. And shit out shit for a very long time. Do you know there was also a, a, um, a crossover with Sherlock Holmes? Yep. That but, sounds odd. But he wasn't in it, was he? It, Pinhead wasn't. It was different Cenobites. It was different Cenobites, yeah. yeah. But it, it was Elliot Spencer's dad who was in it. Yes, and uh, uh, yeah, someone else was in it as well because the, the last name was the same. Oh, it was um, Harry Demore, who's mm. a private, an occult private investigator in another series of books. Nerding out. Yeah. Nerding out. Let's go through the, a bit of the story, Len, breaking away through some facts, and then uh, we'll see where we get. My notes are very short on the actual film itself. Okay. Just bullet points like, oh, look at that cobweb. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So, did you know that my favourite horror music plays for the next two minutes during the credits? scene? I'd love it. The foreboding, kind of like near foghorn type escapade. I did put on here, I said it's got a great 80s horror feel to it and the score, the opening crawl, it's got a, it's got a chime of like fantasy meets horror. Mm, I think it's perfect. It's, it's like hell, it's not like, sorry, it's, it, I got creeps of the opening to Highlander. I was like, yeah, I was and like, with Ooh. the visual effects, I think you could say the same. I got, I got um, feels of movies like Legend. Yeah. Really yeah, scary. No, I did, I said, but like, for two minutes and I really miss a good title sequence mm. and I was watching it and nothing happens. It's just black, black background, white text. Mm. But for two minutes, it really did ramp up the tension. I was like, oh, I was like, get into this. But I then again, I've seen this film loads of times. So I lent on the remote and I was amazed to see it said, because when you pause it, it says 18. And it said, for alcohol use, foul language, nudity, sexual content, smoking and violence. Violence was lasting. There was nothing about like skinning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's got all these like, the, oh my God, this film has got smoking in it. <laughs> Not in this house. <laughs> but then another happy one came and said, don't worry, no spanking. No spanking. No bummage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we meet Frank, your average man in a weird bazaar, buying a box from an Asian man for hella money. Two stacks. <laughs> <laughs> Love the fact that one stack's not enough. And also, when you learn the history of the box, that man is just making money because it's his job to give it away. So mm. he's just like, I'll have, I'll have another stack. And Frank's like... I'll give you a start. Yeah, you'd think he'd go a bit more market with where he meets his clients, wouldn't you? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Just this place where you put heroin, I think it's supposed to be, or some sort of drug or sugar. <laughs> up to you. <laughs> up to you. Very sweaty, though. I like a film that starts with a lot of sweat. <laughs> well, next we see Frank. He set up a square of candles and is playing with the box, which is actually a puzzle. What I love about this is 
do you have to, does it come with instructions? It's went, light seven candles. <laughs> it's, it's the laminate configuration. Yeah, Lamont. Lamont, Where well, it goes through different things. Because in the, Lamont. Whatever it is. There are different pronunciations in what I've heard. I I really like the idea. It, it, again, I'm, I'm going to try and find as many positives as I can. But yeah. I really like the idea that you, that it's Pandora's box, isn't it? Yeah, that you do not yeah. know what you are playing with. Mm. And when it's open, it, you know, you're going to unleash something. And I also really like that I think jumping ahead to the reboot, the, the new one, it has a kind of pull where the person doing the solving doesn't know what they're doing. Don't even know they're fiddling out a puzzle. Yeah. But they're weirdly addicted to trying to figure it out. Yes. And it's almost like the, the cube is guiding the person to, to do it. Well, I'm always a big believer in that the box <clears throat> allows itself to be open because because of what it is, it wants to be opened. Mm. So I believe it's like the ring. I know it's always easy to say the ring from Lord of Rings, but it wants to be open. Yeah. So it, it lets you open it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like, twist me. Um, as we get nearer to completing the box, he notices strange lights fill the room and ominous music plays. And that's one thing that is awesome. Is So he's in a room with cracks in the walls and the light shines through the cracks and it goes up and down. It's magical. Like If you if you didn't see what happens, it's like, oh, is something good going to happen? Mm. Um, but then it doesn't matter because upon completion, hooks appear from the box and stick, it, stick into his skin, eventually tearing him apart. <laughs> yeah, so see, once in my life I've done a Rubik's Cube and I've completed games before, like on the Xbox and stuff. Yeah, yeah that, that's never happened. I've never got that. I've got a trophy a few times, you know, like an online trophy. But I do feel that's a bit of an unfair prize. What I'd like to point out is the next bit is actually something I think that's very... I don't understand this next bit. So a black robed figure starts to put Frank's face together again whilst it's on the floor. Just the skin. But he like... He looks through the different bits of meat. He's like, oh, there's his eye. I love that. <laughs> but, 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 but I don't get why, because it, it doesn't matter. Maybe you missed him. Yeah. Maybe it's like, oh, I missed Frank already. He's, he was so, all right, wasn't he? So, yeah, so Frank buys a box, takes his own, lights some candles, figures the box out. He's feeling yeah. pretty good about himself. You're not for long. Not for long. Gets a load of hooks into his body. Really yeah. weird 80s, like, again, screams like 82 The yeah. Thing at this point, doesn't it? With yeah. like the... And the movie was made for a million. And I think Barker afterwards, didn't he, said that they didn't have money for visual effects. No. And at the end of the movie, we know. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, um, and they, they kind of had to do with what they could do in terms of the uh, the skinning scenes. But yeah, Frank blows up and then randomly, the character that we let on know to be Penhead just kind of puts his face back together yeah, but, a little bit. but for no real reason. No. <laughs> just, just like, just because like, the audience was like, what did Frank look like again? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> because is. you won't see him like that for, for the rest of the film. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's played by a different actor. Um, and then he resets the puzzle box and the room is restored to normal. Mm. Well, yeah, easy. After a period of time, now they leave this ambiguous and I do like that because we find food rotting. So he could have been tortured for years. It's in a different dimension. To, to, it could have lasted even longer. But he's never told us, oh, he's only gone for five minutes. You don't know. After a period of time, we meet Frank's brother, Larry, which is a stupid name. Mm. He never focused on a Larry. And his second wife, Julia, who are moving into the same house. The couple are arguing and have a strained relationship. Julia even puts a cigarette on her floor. That Dirty is weird, bitch. isn't it? A, I mean, I'm not saying that this is a, like, you know, a house that you want to be proud of. There's rotten food everywhere. But... It's your house. It's your house, yeah. Don't yeah. put a cigarette out on the floor. No fucking manners. Now, that house is actually 187 Dollis Hill Lane, Dollis Hill Still in Brent in London. According to Zoopla, the house price is shot up in 1993, so it could be something to do with the movie. It sold for 105 grand back then, but it sold uh, 20 years later for 880 grand. Mm. 
which is an increase of 738%. Now, I did a quick Google street map to see if the house is still there, and it is. Ooh, and oh, I was surprised to see the number of bins outside. Someone's clearly turned that into apartments. Disgusting. Which makes me think someone's got Frank-skinned bedroom. <laughs> now, I know I know people would say, well, the, the interior would have been shot on a stage. No. But no, no. Frank's body is still up there. <laughs> How would that... So my point being... Would that creep you out? Let's say you're a student or something like that, or you just look for a place to rent. You got a cheap deal on the attic room of uh, of this property, and yeah. then you found out it was it's supposed to be the hell, the room that Frank, you know, was skinned in. I personally fucking love it. Would I'd you? Like, I'd be like, any boxes left behind? <laughs> well, no, because this weird man from a bazaar turned up. So he's got to resell it. <laughs> he's ran out of stacks. No, there was this weird skeleton dragon thing. <laughs> just don't came. get me started on that. <laughs> what I love about this is is. I love this film. I, you know, I've done some research. I didn't go on Zoopla. Oh, no. <laughs> the stuff we do to go that extra mile for you, the listener. Um, sorry. The two search the house. Larry finds some rotten food and a number of maggots, while Julia finds evidence that Frank has been squatting in the house. Ooh. While searching his belongings, Julia finds pictures of Frank with various women in various sexual exploits. Mm, she, ta- she takes one of the photos and tears the woman in it away. She, you know, she just wants Frank, mate. Again, because she doesn't know what she looks like. Because she doesn't, she doesn't need, she doesn't know for the rest of the film. She takes one of the photos and tears it away. Kirsty, Larry's daughter, rings to let Larry know that she's found a room nearby. I'd just like to point out that they didn't even know the phone existed in the house because the phone starts ringing. Larry's like, oh, what's that? How the fuck has Kirsty got that number? Bullshit. Hellraiser, throw in a bin. <laughs> and it's the way Larry picks up the phone. He's like, what? Hold on. The fuckers just rang, maybe want to say welcome. On moving day, the movers, two movers stare at Julia and force Larry into getting them beers instead of the customary tea. It's bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, this, this, is, this is where it kind of breaks away from any kind of British, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it gives him a Budweiser as well. I mean, if it was in the UK, I mean, yeah, we had Bud, but in 87, you know, we're like, yeah, here's four Buds. And he's a Boddington's. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's a John Smith, mate, with a widget. Now, um, Do you know when you discovered a widget? It was like the biggest thing. I was like, God, there's actually something in the beer can. um, Doug Bradley was offered the role role of either Pinhead or the lead Cenobite. Or the mattress man. I've, I mean, in hindsight, probably gone the mattress man. They get enough screen time. The guy's that. careers just skyrocketed. But also, he's like, so they're struggling. They're struggling to get the mattress through the front door. Yeah, and they have to get Larry to help. Which I love about this is they're the fucking movers. Yeah, it's their and they're, job. Even, they're not even like up a step yet. No. And then he's like, get us a beer. It's like, yeah, you no, know, do your job. But also, the, the cardinal sin is Larry throws the four cans of beer at him. It's like, come on, man, they're gonna fizz up that way. Um, when Kirsty shows up, the movers are also lecherous to her as well. We discover that Kirsty has a strange relationship with Julia. Julia's not her mom, mm. her stepmom. Her mother has died. Julia, meanwhile, is reminiscing about the time she first met Frank and there was instant chemistry. So, you know, she has flashbacks of Frank. He's like, he opens the door, it's raining. It's like, who are you? It's like, I'm Frank. <laughs> His lips move and then like 20 seconds later, you find out it's Frank because the dubbing is... Give is, me a towel. <laughs> it's weird. Immediately though, mate, she's like, oh, he's wet. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, it's something about the rain. It's very romantic. Uh, But she is interrupted by Kirsty, and instead of making small talk, and I love this, Julia simply walks up to the next floor. She's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) What a bitch. What a bitch. Um, The same room where we saw Frank get taken. Ooh, what's happening? So it's Claire Higgins, isn't it? She's uh, let it go on be Dan Abbey. 
Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think Claire Higgins is brilliant. And then when you find out the history of what was supposed to be her character, she's supposed to be the focal point of the Hellraiser series. She's supposed to go from ultimate submissive, which she is in this film. In the second one, she's manipulative. You were supposed to follow her journey through like the lament configuration and the different various stages of hell. But she was like, no. What's the, so the, the second the, one? The lament configuration has a meaning. Yeah, it's a it's a gateway. What I mean is, it's she. I don't. Want I to just thought it was the name of the cube. I've just thought someone had a cute name for the cube. Like, it, like, well, it, it also the, there's another name for it, Lemon configuration, because that's the bloodline that created it. Well, right. I don't. I don't. Want, I don't want, I don't worry you too much with this. Mate, I like the first one. <laughs> Let's not get bogged down. Um, while reminiscing takes place, where Frank is... So more reminiscing takes place, where Frank is very forward with Julia, kissing her with a raw magnetism and using a switchblade to cut off Julia's clothes, because that's normal. Weird flashback scene. It is. Frank is very dominant, and Julia seems to respond very favourably to this. While enjoying these memories, Larry's helping the movers by doing their job and cuts himself on a nail that could not be any more further out than fucking boat. It's the first thing you notice. Yeah. I might do something about that now. What a gash he creates as he well. He causes, mate, there's an order of a gash there. There's, and, and the thing is, this happens later on as well. Apparently, anytime Larry is bleeding, people aren't really too bothered. Yeah, like that, shit, it's Larry. He's like bleeding out and he's like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. And everyone's just like, just, just elevate it. Put fuck, it under a cold tap. Fuck off, Larry. <laughs> So it's, it's deep cut that bleeds profusely. Larry heads to the attic where Julia is hoping um, that she will deal with Larry. Oh, basically, heads, she heads to the, uh, the attic because that's where Julia is. And he starts crying now. He's like, I've got myself. Can't deal with blood. She knows this. All right. Kisses him on the forehead. He's like, I'll take you to hospital. They all go. Movers, mate, fuck right off. Because nothing. you don't see them again. They're like, oh, more beer. Let's yeah. go. Let's go root round Kirsty's thing. <laughs> Fucking stupid. This, this in the flashback as well. So yeah, Larry, he, he spills blood on the floor. He spills blood, so he goes in there. He can't even look at it. He's out in front of him. And it's dripping all over the floor in the exact spot where Frank was taken. Mm. And you see them, the the blood almost soak into the floorboards. Yeah. So we see blood be sucked into the floorboards, and the camera pans below. So you see a very small kind of beating. What we later know is a heart. It just starts basically mm. beating under the floorboards. In the flashback as well with um, with Frank. And Julia. Julia, where they've had their rompy romp, no, sp- bit, no spanking, no spanking, mate. There's I a, only the two thrusts. The, there's <laughs> like there's the after climax scene where they're smoking, yeah. and Frank's like, "It's not enough." Yeah, that's and, weird, and isn't it, it? he's like, "We get you know, Frank's Frank is very alpha by this point. He's like, too, he's, he's, he's too alpha. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's he, he just he, and if he was if he was here, you'd be like, "Well, I'm sorry, Frank." <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, so I've only just met you. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you actually want? However, what you get next is, is this is what I miss, right? There's something about magical film, the, the majesty, the creation, the creative thinking about it. They didn't have any money. They didn't have CGI budget to create a body come out of nowhere. So they did something. So they all got together and they went, right, let's build a body and melt it. Melt it, yeah. And so what you see now is a body be melted in a very hot room and then they record it. So it's phenomenal thinking and how they timed it and everything. You see basically a body reform. It's horrible. Uh, we start, the floorboards crack, you know, the nails sprout up. Uh, ooze comes out suddenly two bones rise up and we see a body a body rebuild itself in all its gory glory like it's yeah the special effects and again it goes back to that 80s thing isn't it if, you know um, melt something down then play it in reverse yeah, it's the it, best way to um, so it, it basically you realise it's a skeleton forming and a basic muscle system before the creature lets out a wild scream 
Probably nothing. Don't worry about it. Move on. Have a dinner pie. Now you're a dinner pie as Larry holds court telling funny stories. Julia stares off into space and Kirsty starts flirting with Steve, who is plying you with so much alcohol and swallowing cigarettes because bitches love cigarettes. Apparently they do, though, because it works. Before retiring to bed, Julie, uh, Julia gives Larry the most loveless look in all creation. And on the way to bed, she hears a noise coming from the attic. What I really like about it is, is their relationship is loveless. Mm. He's desperately to keep it onto it and Julia doesn't have Frank anymore. So she's she, she's lost passion. And I, th- I guess that's what they're going for. It's this passionless relationship because she's lost the passionate relationship she had with Frank. Because you get the feeling that Frank just left her and she, she's devoid now. She, she feels lost. And that's the character of Julia. There she finds the skinless, mouldy version um, and freaks the fuck out, but seems to calm down when she finds out it's Frank. Frank explains that blood brought him back and that he needs more to regenerate his body. Kirsty drunkenly makes noise. And Julie uses this opportunity to leave. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> the Frank's in the attic. He's got no skin. It's just like, oh, Larry, your brother's upstairs. He's <laughs> it's, it's got no skin. Just thought you should know. On the way home with Sex Pest Steve, we see that Julie is being watched by a homeless man. And then she tells Steve that all English people are frigid. So Steve gives her a kiss. And someone else, hey. the British way. <laughs> Julia lays in bed with Larry, remembering all the great sex. And so she decides to help restore Frank. Meanwhile, Kirsty has an artistic dream about feathers and blood while a baby cries. And in a dream, she sees her father's body rise from a pile of red feathers. A bit weird. Bit on the nose. <laughs> that, 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 that scene is, again, is pretty good in terms of the visual effects. Yeah. Part where she's looking. And, and again, that is, that is something that's always, always creepy in movies. And that is a screaming baby when you can't see the child. Yeah. Or the other one is like, um, is quite jovial music playing in a horror situation. Yeah. Like Jeepers Creepers capitalise on that, you know, with the whole like Jeepers Creepers song being quite like kind of swing and upbeat <laughs> and, that kind of, and, it do, and, it, and the fact that it's an old recording yeah, that's played true, on, so, yeah. a, on a record makes it sound creepy. And, and I remember watching that this week and being impressed by the, uh, the reanimation scene and being impressed by uh, this scene as well, where, like I say, she's looking at the the autopsy table, the table or whatever it is. And, and, and it's, it starts bleeding through. Yeah. yeah. I remember looking at that and thinking that, again, nice little touches. The pro- and the, the, the blood is really fake looking though. Yeah. Really bad. Yeah, I guess it has to be. It, so it's weird that you say about the carnivals, because in the second one, they, they kind of go to a plane of hell and there's a carnival with a juggler juggling mm. his own eyes. <laughs> So so he's got that kind of aspect. That's probably a bit too on the nose, but they like playing with that sort of thing in this in this franchise. Mm. Um, the next morning, Larry's off to work, or Julie's off to get some skin for her man. So uh, <laughs> she goes to a bar and picks up a man and brings him back to the house. She does seem to get nervous and change her mind, but just like that, the man changes now because he thought he was going to get some and it's been taken away from him. So he's like, you, you don't change your mind. Gets quite forceful. And that seems to give her the energy to take him up to the attic. Now, you're married. I'm in a long-term relationship. So say we're single. Girl meets you at the bar. She goes back to your house. She takes you to an attic where it definitely looks like you'll get murdered. Do you take your pants off? <laughs> Just like, where are you going to do it? There's no bed. <laughs> well, she even says I like it on the floor. Yeah, no, but it's... I'll be like, I, like, I don't like splinters though. <laughs> Just like, who's getting on the floor? Because <laughs> yeah, it looks, it definitely looks like someone was skinned in here. And the thing is as well, it's another thing about uh, horror, isn't it? Particularly horror like this is people are oblivious. Like, you know, people are oblivious to cuts, wounds, that kind of thing. This guy just walks into clearly a murder room. <laughs> and, and she's, but luckily she's hidden the hammer. Yes, yeah, she Because has, that like, would have been the straw. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm not going in there. There's a fucking hammer. I'd like to point out though, but that's the most realistic thing because he literally just takes his pants off. He's pantless. 
So there's two versions of the scene, one where he's naked and one where he's just got his, his trousers down, but then the censors were like, oh no, 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 he's got to have clothes on. It's like, I'm about to beat him to death with a hammer. Yeah, we don't mind that. As long yeah. as he keeps his clothes on. And then there was a more brutal hammer scene, yeah. wasn't there as well? Um, but the, I mean, it is, it is, it's, it's a nasty thing, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's luring people back um, so that Frank can, can drink can, them. Yeah, well, he kind of, what? So basically she bludgeons him to death and then Frank's like, leave the room. And he kind of like bum shuffles because he's not got muscles on his legs. He, he can only bum shuffle. I don't want you to see this. It's like, Frank, I've seen a lot by now. Mate, you've got no skin. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, if you get from over there to here, I'll have more respect for you. Because <laughs> at the minute, you're pretty much jelly. Uh, Frank begins to consume the body while Julia leaves to wash up. But while washing up, Julia smiles to herself. Ooh, it started, mate. It starts to turn. When she re-enters, uh, Frank is now at his muscle stage is now able to stand and he's able to feel. Frank explains that they need to hurry as they might find him. Larry comes home. So we still don't know who they are. Kirsty's working at a pet store. Here's, here's a tonal shift. That sells monkeys. <laughs> what kind of pet store? An what? awesome one. <laughs> That's what you mean, mate. Looking an awesome one. I, uh, th- th- no, this goes... This, if we're going pet store scenes yeah. in film, and it's a niche market. <laughs> it is pretty niche. I'm going Rocky one. I was literally going to go. You want to <laughs> go, go in there and see Adriana in the background? Yeah. And, and he's like, we're uh, bird. <laughs> She's like, a yeah, parrot. He's like, parrot. <laughs> Well, also, also, I love that she's the most powerless. So there's an old lady having a go at her. She's like, she's like, I want to see your manager. It's like, not here. It's proper Karen. Yeah, it's just like, Karen. Well, I'm not leaving. He's like, well, this is not my fucking problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's that kid who's also like, like banging on the just, cage. Just trying to like, just annoy a snake. <laughs> I think it's most realistic though. And also going back to the scene where the bloke is oblivious, he like goes into quite clearly murder him. But you got to remember, the guy thought he was going to have sex. So he was like, yes, I don't mind sex in the middle. Realistic, mate. Thinking with the wrong head. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, she's, she tells customers she can't help. She has to kick out a homeless person. Uh, what's this homeless person? It's the same person I was talking. What's he been doing? He's just aggravating a snake. Now that's what the kid's doing. Eating handfuls of locusts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah him. I like it as well. That, that, uh, Throughout for all this movie, you got like, you know, the, the kind of the guy that's after the ultimate pleasure you know, you've got the people that, the Cenobites that are dishing out pain and torture. The person really to watch is the homeless man eating yeah. handfuls of locusts. Yeah. That's the one I don't want to be in a room with. But weirdly, ahead of his time, because that's what that's what they think the future food source is going to be for the, for the world. Mm. Locusts, there you go. Ahead of its time. Meanwhile, lots of meanwhiles. There's a lot happening, weirdly, but nothing happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see that Julia is becoming quite proficient at bringing men back for Frank to kill. Seemingly starting to enjoy the process. We see a montage of, of well, it's not a montage because there's only one person that dies. But Julia now celebrates by having a drink and a smoky cigarette looking quite stern. She's she's becoming quite powerful. So she enjoys what's happening. This time, the man is killed quickly and efficiently. Julia doesn't leave the room this time. So it makes a big deal about Frank's always saying leave. He, she doesn't this time. She stays and watches. Character development, mate. Uh, mate. The next stage of Frank is juicy. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, just not got any skin. So lots of blood. Uh, peeled version of Frank, if you will. Don't worry. How does he get around this? Where's a white shirt? <laughs> he does look dapper with a suit on. I almost didn't notice the lack of skin. <laughs> you know what I mean? It took a while. Yeah. Uh, finally, he gives an explanation to this woman who has killed two people for him at this stage. I love the fact that she was going on, I'll kill us two people. And she's like, yeah, right. <laughs> seems, seems all right. Yeah, it is, you know, we've, got, we've gone through effects, acting, storyline, script. The, the words though, the, the script is, is maybe 
the biggest downfall. Yeah. Frank Frank's dialogue. Come to daddy. He's, <laughs> don't go start. Come to daddy is the worst line in a Hellraiser movie. Do you remember? I remember we went to the NFL this week, and on the drive there we were talking about House of Dragons. We were both like, "It's just bored of incest." Yeah. <laughs> and then watching this film where this uncle quite clearly spoilers wants to bang his knees, <laughs> and you're just like, "For fuck's sake!" I just want a normal film. <laughs> I know, I know. I've, I've got a fantasy writer friend. We, we know a fantasy writer, and I just want to have this out of him. Like, what is wrong with all you lot? <laughs> Fucking, it's always always family related, isn't it? But um, the, you know, like, don't look at me uh, as he's like. Noshing down on a bloke with no cutlery. something you definitely would look at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the more you spill, the more flesh on my bones. It's it, it's not great. It's, is it? it's not great. I, I do find the best writing is is saved for the Cenobites because I genuinely do think the Cenobites have some great lines. Bar one, which I'll get into it. Don't you think as well that Skinless Frank looks in a, in a certain light a little bit like Killian Murphy? Well, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's a normal. Yeah. A, a normal. I do. I do like as a well. Normal Killian Murphy. Or the, 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 there's a scene as well that now Frank at this point he's getting a bit more adventurous. He's got muscles now. Yeah. He's got a shirt on. He's walking around the house. He's not confined to the oh, attic. I, I come back to this. Oh mate, <laughs> yeah, come we start skidding a rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that meant to imply that he's he's also eating rats on the side or is he just killing rats for the fun I of it? I think he's killing rats because he can and also it's a message because uh, we'll get into it. Right, so Frank has... So we get an explanation now. So Frank has exhausted all sensory experiences and so he sought out the box which was supposed to provide him with access to a realm of unknown and unimaginable carnal pleasures. Basically, he's been done here by a salesman. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, oh, you've had sex. You haven't had sex, mate, till you've had the box. Do this. He's like, where are you sticking hooks in me? I thought, you know, I'm shaved. Hold on. <laughs> I, was like, I was ready. <laughs> I was ready for something here. Yeah. Um, but in fact, the gate opened the gateway to another dimension where the Cenobites subjected him to extreme sadomachism, where pain and pleasure were indistinguishable from one another. So it hurt so much that he liked it. Is that is is that is that what we're going with? That's supposedly supposedly what it is. It's actually my problem with the other franchises is when now we'll get into it. <laughs> so where pain hurts so much, it's, you can't distinguish if it's pleasurable or not. So the first film, my idea that they're getting from it is they worship pain because. So this is where it comes from into this dark area where at the time, well, you've got to, we're more liberated society now. We're more open about you know, our sexual perversions and that type of thing. You know, the more, whilst you want, you know, have them on CBBs, it's something that we know happens in the bedrooms of people. Mm. You know, some people are quite open about it. It wasn't at this time. And it's like the version of the naughty, so extreme. So everything's got, I think the idea is that it's, it's perversion. It's, it's, you've tried the hanky-panky in the bedroom. You tried the spanking, which you weren't allowed to mm. see. That wasn't enough for you. So now they're going to skin you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's what I mean. They've, they've missed a step. Uh, my my son is though, you've done that. So the idea, and you saw it earlier with Frank. Frank's mm. basically alpha dominant. He, he's done everything he can to these women that you see in the photos and he's done it to Julia. He wants more. He's like, I'm bored of this. I'm bored of the ordering. I want to know what's else there. So he hears about the box and he hears about, oh my God, it shows you things. It gives you things. It does these things. So as you would, as as Frank is, as we know, he just sits around in abandoned buildings, mate, uh, taking pictures of people. So he's going to want to see a bit. So I believe that's how Frank gets into it. And he was promised these things and then he got it. But at the same time, whilst whilst he enjoyed it, he didn't want to be tortured constantly. So that's why he used this opportunity to escape. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't really know how he escaped, but, you know, magic fantasy, blood, <laughs> box, <laughs> shit. <laughs> things happen, right? 
I, I, I just, I just love the idea. I just love the idea. He like, he cried. He's he, like, oh, I, I don't like, I want something harder than spanking. So then it's like, right, I'll, I'll remove your face. <laughs> you like, so Pinhead arrives and he's like, um, it's like, a checklist. Have you done yeah, Buggery? Have you done the Mexican Pancake? Yeah. Have you done the Space Dock Fondue? Yeah. Have you done the Lion King? Yeah. Have you done the Alabama Hot Pocket? Yeah. Have you done the, the Cleveland Hot Waffle? Yeah. Have you done the Cosby Sweater? Yeah, I think I have. The minivan? Yeah, I've done that one. <laughs> smash debating? Yeah, I've done that one. The Kandiki? <laughs> What's with the Angry I think Pirate? I, I, yes. know, I know what a Smash the is. <laughs> have you done the 300? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, done that one twice. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to take your face then. <laughs> and then he's like, well, there's nothing left. <laughs> I've, I've got these rusty hooks. <laughs> <laughs> we can do something with them if you want. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so then, yeah. How do you like your skin? I've never really been that attached to it. <laughs> Look at it. I can stretch it. Afterwards, do you want to see? No, could you just put my face on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but in order. But, but in order. <laughs> I don't know if you're weird if you didn't. Uh, most people get like a tattoo or something, don't yeah, they? Yeah, just, probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, during a storm, <laughs> Frank becomes agitated and begins punching the walls. This alerts Larry, who heads to the attic to investigate. Julia initiates sex to distract him, but this just further enrages his Frank, who watches them have sex, and in a weird power move, weird even for this movie, <laughs> he skins a rat. <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? Sorry, I, I got ahead of myself a minute ago. He just comes in, skins a rat. But because Larry's on top, he doesn't see this. All he sees is Julie freak the fuck out, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> why wouldn't a man you? just come in and skinned a rat. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tim is there, Julie's like, I need to go see Frank. Yeah, well, he, uh, he's the man I want. <laughs> While well, this is Larry, he used this opportunity to moan about his blue balls. Yeah. Larry, <laughs> it's like you tease. Like, who do I want? Who do I want? I do want Larry, who's moved us, you know, back to my homeland, moved yeah. close to my family. And Got a good job. A, a five, so I don't have to work. Five bed house, then 20 years is going to be worth 738 yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> or do I want Larry, um, who currently yeah. is skinning rats because he has no skin? <laughs> Oh, but he's got a nice suit on. <laughs> Does have a nice suit. There should be the scene where Larry's like, where is my suit? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen it? And she's like, it's in the wash. You've got a bit of blood on it. You're like, oh, you. Nice. Um, freaked out by her strange behaviour, fucking hell, Larry. Uh, Larry takes Kirsten out for dinner and asks her to the house tomorrow during the day to see why Julia was acting so bizarrely and build some bridges. The next day, Kirsty spies Julia bringing back a strange man into the house and follows them in. Frank does the same as before as Julie... Julia kills the man and Frank begins to absorb him. Only this time, Kirsty walks in on the murder and discovers a skinless, still juicy Frank. And then this is the scene where he's like, I love this. You've just come home. You haven't seen your uncle in a while. But he's got no skin. And he's like, don't worry, it's me. It's, it's Frank, your uncle. Come to daddy. You're like, oh, fuck's sake, Frank. The one thing that you shouldn't have said. It's just like... He's oh, fucking weirdo. He kind of deserves. During the struggle, Kirsty grabs a handful of his intestines. Again, another scene that was cut. Which, which is really good because, because he's got no skin mm. and he hasn't got disease at any point or died from his loss of skin. <laughs> I love the fact that she's like intestines. She, she's able to like easily grab someone and get away from it. Makes sense. Um, she also managed to grab hold of the box while escaping the house, much to the annoyance of Frank and Julia. Frank gives out an 80s, no. <laughs> still, still better. Still better than a Star Wars one, No. This is a bit weird. This, the, right, so if you're invested in this film, you do need to take a bit of leap here because um, randomly she passes out while walking the street. <laughs> yeah. She wakes up in hospital where she plays with the puzzle. Oh, I'd love to put out here. Definitely the NHS. Couldn't give a flying fuck. <laughs> just like, she's like, yeah, you're here. Fuck off. <laughs> just like, you're staying here. Fuck off. It, it does. It, this hospital does look more like asylum though. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, she's got her own room. So, she has, you know, present, present, present not pass. the NHS, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the doctor <laughs> the doctor walks in. Yeah, I've uh, got a few questions because you're about to play with that book. Have you done the Spicy Gringo? <laughs> yep. Have you done the Flying Circus? Yeah. Have you done the Kentucky Derby? Yeah. Have you done the Angry Pinocchio? Yeah. Oh, I'm going well, to well, take your skin then. <laughs> play with this box. <laughs> oh. The walls of the hospital room crack open and she enters the labyrinth where she's chased by the engineer, a sort of upside down giant baby that brings disappointment wherever it goes. <laughs> Cost a lot of money, this. A lot of budget went into this disappointing thing. <laughs> Even I think this. Oh, this thing? Yeah. Each right. Year. So going back to the beginning of this episode where I was like, there's a lot I can't remember about Hellraiser. Yeah. I couldn't remember this thing. Well, what's this weird worm thing. Was, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. It's called the engineer and it's pointless. Um, Kirsty runs back to the hospital room where the area is between the tiles. Now, I love this. So in a tiled room, you know, the, the grout in beneath, between it, lights up so it's bright white. So the walls are essentially now just made up of tiny boxes, which is mm. really cool. Um, the bulb shatter and the Cenobites begin to arrive. Enter four horror movie icons led by the Hell Priest or what the makeup artists and then fans would dub Pinhead. He explains that they are here as she opened the box and that they came, as they are explorers of the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others. So again, it's how you it's how you it's how you digest their experience. I'm not saying to, right, so this is one of these things. I'm not saying it's a perfect horror film. It's my favorite film because it lends itself to questions. And I love that. I love I love watching this film going, what does it mean? <laughs> you know, it, I know I know it's not for everyone. I don't go around spouting it's the best. It's my favorite. Mm. I think it's very underrated because of the questions it asks. Because it would be really easy if they come out and went, you open a box, so your skin's mine. <laughs> you, you sign. But they're like, you wanted these carnal pleasures. That's why you've sought out the box. So I'll give them it, to I, you. I, I, I agree that... No, I get I it. I don't see the cardinal play. I don't see the... You, you don't all understand. I see is them go, yeah, I'm just going to kill you then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So so as a kid, so yeah, as, exactly. as a young audience when I watched this, I wouldn't have got the subliminal, like the, 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 the you know, what this film was about and the layers mm. of this film. I would have just seen... Yeah, exactly. My question as a kid or as a young adult, uh, young adult watching so, this movie so was, what's, what's why that? play with a box if that's the consequence? Yes, yeah, exactly. No, and, and that's, that's something again. Mm. But then I think... This is how I would suggest it, is Kirsty was never f- supposed to find the box. Frank was supposed to get the box. And then there's a question of, well, who's the homeless guy watching it? Is he watching it so he can get the box back and then give it back to the merchant so it can only go to people who desire the pleasures? So, and Kirsty was never meant to get the box because Frank was never supposed to escape. Mm. Then again, the question is, well, why did the Cenobites and the merchant just go, where is the box? Well, Frank had it. Well, we got Frank. I fuck it, leave in the house for a bit. <laughs> Let's go on holiday. I'm going to Barbados for a bit. <laughs> and what are the Cenobites doing between people playing with the box? Do they, have, do they have a life? Do they have to run errands? No, so you know, Frank's still alive, despite the fact his face is on the floor. Mm. Frank is still alive. They're torturing him forever, or giving him pleasures, experiencing. It's all sensations. So he's still alive. They're doing that, and to the countless other people that have opened the box, they're still playing with them, showing right. them things. Because I was going to say, because you imagine being like Pinhead, and you just you just eating like your dinner. You yeah. just save it. Someone's just box. done it. It's just. <laughs> He comes out, it's like he's on the toilet. It's like, yeah. for fuck's sake. It's always every time I got out of a shit. <laughs> I love the scene. He, he walks out, in, right? He's pulling his trousers back, a bit toilet paper. Yeah, he just, he just he walks out really pissed off. It's like, have you done the bush driver? Have you done the Nigerian hurricane? You- <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, I'll tell you skin then. <laughs> 
Um, also, what I like about it, so for opening the box, Kirsty must come with them and experience their treasures. These are all stuff... So I've... I, the person that now knows the lines from all the Cenobites, and my thesis at the end. Kirsty explains that Frank has escaped them, which angers the Cenobites, to the point that it's a matter of pride. And I, there's this line, it's like... Do you know, you've done this before, haven't you? Like, of course they've fucking done it before. And the like, many, many times. And mm. she's like, do you know Frank Cotton? And the woman's like, yep, <laughs> add him and ticked him off. <laughs> and then she's like, he escaped. And then fucking that's the worst thing because, you know, like Penner's like, nobody escapes us. And you're like, well, he did. And he's like, no shit. Easily convinced. Like, he's like, oh, as he fuck. But even <laughs> even us as a, even us as an audience by this point, I've only met Pinhead and the Cenobites for oh, about five time. minutes. Yeah, not even that. This, they were really at the beginning, it's putting a, Frank together. This is the first time you met him. And I'd like to point out, we're well past the midpoint of this film. We're near the end. And so this is my point. So I was as an audience member, and going on that this is a big scary bad, and, you know, he's up there with Michael Myers and all these other characters. Mm. All we know of him is he's very incompetent. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Because, like... What do you mean? I, Frank's on my floor. Well, he's fucking not. What I'm known as is he's very easy to convince because she says, yeah, he is. And he's like, oh. <laughs> Instantly, he's like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> good, good point. Maybe I shouldn't take your skin. Mm. <laughs> you, you've earned to keep your skin. Um, which angers the Cenobites. Um, they do a deal that if Kirsty can get Frank back to them by voicing it because they want to be sure. They're like, oh, we, we need to be sure now that it's definitely Frank. So get him mm. to admit it and we'll do it. They might let her go. So at the house, Frank and Julia decide to leave before Kirsty can tell Larry. What I love about this is she's got proof they killed a man and she hasn't told the police. Even when she was in hospital, Julia didn't go, oh, you know, um, if you go to my house, you'll find some corpses because my stepmom and my skinless uncle have killed someone. No, no, don't mention it. <laughs> I suppose this the question is as well, is she Ash, Ashley Lawrence as, a, as an actor in this movie... I, I think she's very she's very good as a screen queen. I think she's very good. I, I, I like this in the second film. She's very good. In it. I think her character is 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 written like a horror movie yeah. femme fatale, where you know makes ridiculous decisions. Yeah, but at the same, yeah, this is the one. But I like the fact that she fights back. Like she knows that uncle's got a skin, so she takes his intestines. She like, she like reaches into his body to hurt him. Mm. I like the fact she doesn't just sit there and take it. You know, later, you know, she. She's about to get skinned alive. She didn't know that, but she knows something horrible is about to happen. But she does a deal with the big bad evil. She's like, I'll get you frank if you let me go. So it shows that she's quick on her feet as well. Yeah. Before her time, she's like, she's not just running out the door screaming. She's like, before you skin me, maybe I'll get you frank back. And, and, and Pinner's like, meh, go on then. And again, it's got that fairy tale feel to it, hasn't it? You mm. know, like making a deal with the baddie. Yes. And, and he's good. I, I, th I thought she was very, very good. Her and Claire Higgins, I think, in this movie are very good at doing the hysterical, the kind of, you know, because I, I imagine it takes a lot to get to that emotional state, particularly mm. towards the end of this movie, Ashley Lawrence is hyperventilating scared. Yes. And, and I think that is, it's really good acting in a, in, in a character that I didn't think was too great written, but it, but yeah, then again, basic, yeah. but then again, from the late seventies into the eighties, a lot of the, you know, if you, if you, I suppose I don't know. I mean, she's no Ripley, obviously. But, no, but, no, not at all. But she's a great. She's she's a good character. That I just think she sometimes she's written to do some very silly things. Weirdly, she needs to be like the meat, <laughs> otherwise you won't believe that she'd be in a situation. Mm. So, um, no, I, I get everything you're saying. Um, Kirsty arrives late. Uh, later, she hugs her father, who explains that he had to put the mad dog Frank out of his misery. Kirsty goes to the attic and sees the skinless corpse and begins crying. Now, this is something I didn't get. Why is she crying over Frank's death? And that's something I didn't get to, like, you know, 
well, I watched it really young, so like a few years later, she's actually crying because she realizes she's fucked. Because her deal was, I'll give you Frank. Yeah. But Frank's dead. So she's actually crying because she's about to get fucked up by Severus, which I was just like, why is she crying? So that's why. So she starts crying, believing herself to be damned as she no longer has Frank to trade. And now this is the scene I'm talking about. This makes, this is why I really like Penelope because he, he commands the screen. I love it. The bell sound, and I love the idea that these bells sound before they appear. <clears throat> And also the Cenobites giving it a, like a religious, like they worship pain or they don't. It's not pain, it's sensation they worship. I really love that. And they turn around and he just, he's there and he just raises his hand and says, I want the man who did this. Like he's proper, he's not here hmm. with his showbone. He, he, he could get his, you know, could get his chains out. Maybe he doesn't want that. He's near anger. He's like, because he recognises the work and recognises that Frank has done this. And he's like, I want the fucker who done this. And she, basically, she ain't no snitch, mate. She's like, get the fuck. <laughs> Because she thinks she's standing up for her father. Sorry, I've, I've lost my... Uh, yeah, so here we go. So knowing that... Um, but what she doesn't realise is that Frank has killed the body, skinned it, and made himself a Larry suit. <laughs> so I mean, good it, stitching. It's really... It's effortless, what, this... Well, uh, what I love about these two films is, in case you ever thought about it, it's really easy to skin a person and wear their suit because they do it twice. This is this is this point where, where Muscle Frank goes to goes to uh, Julia. She's like, he's like, bring me Brad Pitt. <laughs> Why? I've just I just just I just need Brad Pitt right now. It's, it's easy to get into his skin. It's really easy. Frank in his Larry suit gives himself away when he tries to kill Kirsty, who moves, and Frank kills Julia, showing no remorse. He just stabs her, and then he's like, "Sorry, baby," absorbs her a little bit. And this is the thing. This is where we see him like delve his little sucky fingers into the neck, yeah, and, like a vampire just drainer, yeah. And because th th that again, that's a weird thing, isn't it? Like the the effects of seeing the fingers go under the skin, yeah, and kind of just start to again yeah. make me think of the thing. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, I think the thing does it even better. I love that because they got because it's it's really mm. well, when you realise how they do it, it's actually a really easy technique. That you use a rubber glove and, and you just paint round it, but it's still a fucking phenomenal thing to watch. But I would love that if you was a proper makeup artist in a movie and they're like, "This is the scene, <clears> right? You've got to figure out how we do that." I, and you're just looking around the kitchen. And you're like, "Fucking hell!" I just gotta. One of the things I love about this film as well is that you could have had so much fun. Like, there's you could have had so many different designs. He's like, "Oh, they're these people. Yeah, they worship pain. Yeah, oh, and they skin people." And like. Right, we come back with what you've got. I love this. You obviously have some basic drawings of Clive Barker, but Clive Barker's drawings are so out of that you probably could have had a bit of yeah, a bit of leeway. Um, basically, uh, Kirsty runs to the attic, and Frank is in hot pursuit, which turns out to be the biggest mistake he's ever going to make. Kirsty hides behind some mouldy rotting corpses, and when Frank admits that he's wearing a Larry suit, the Cenobites reappear, ready to deal out some Leviathan-level justice. Frank goes to stab, but the... So Frank, angered by this betrayal, which I love about this, he's, he's indignant. It's like, you betrayed me. I was going to fucking stab you. <laughs> I'm going to reward you now. I'm going to stab you. He goes to stab Kirsty, but Pinhead stops him. Pinhead uses... He doesn't want to see another death. He's like, he uses his mind. He's like, you know what? No, Chain. <laughs> chain grabs him. Chain's coming out all over the place now. Mm. It's Chain Palooza, mate. Chain Mania. Hulk Chain is running wild. <laughs> so many chains. Um, Frank summoning numerous chains to trap Frank and torture him. While several of the chains are lodged in Frank's face, Frank utters the line, Jesus wept, which was originally supposed to be fuck you. But Andrew Robinson, who plays Larry, but in the last 15 minutes has obviously been playing Frank in a Larry suit. Uh, and Andrew Robinson, which I'd like to point out, I think his performance in this film is amazing. Mm. Because to switch from Larry, who's basically a, 
like that. I like that. He's a bitch. <laughs> he gets to take on and have a lot of fun with the murderous Frank. And also he understood like, fuck you would not have been a great line to end on. But he when did- he's like, Jesus wept, you're like, that's different. It stands he, he, out. He does. He does dial it up, and you only like him because he was in Deep Space Nine. I love him. He's played Garrick. Garrick in Deep Space Nine. You fucking throw some Deep Space Nine shit, mate. Mate, the main actress in uh, <clears throat> Deep Space Nine, uh, the uh, female Trill. She's mm. the main actress in her uh, Hellraiser Three, Hell on Earth. Yeah, then you take that to the bank. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Soon. I mean, he was also um, in Dirty Harry, villain in he Dirty was. Harry. He in uh, yeah. Refused, uh, refused to use the N-word as well. He, he was like, no, I don't want to do that. He said, I don't, he said, stylistically it makes sense, but I just don't want to do that. So mm. I believe he doesn't use the word. Um, uh, the trains are retracted. Right, so this is a scene that I love and this is a point I want to get to. So he's got hooks in his face and he knows he's about to, he's about to die. He's about to go back. He licks his lips and he says, Jesus wept. However, there's a sparkle in his eye. There's a, there's a smile at the corner of his mouth. I'm not saying that there's a lot of him, there is, you can tell when you're acting and the, the purpose you're supposed to get is there is very, very small part of him that is about to enjoy what happens to him because he does enjoy on some level the experience he's about to get. Because that's what the whole point of it is. He's been caught and he, he's a bit sadistic. And he's like, do you know what? I'm going to die. But a very small part of him is like, I will enjoy some of it. Is it all over? The Frank, the villain of the piece is dead. Well, No. The Cenobites want this Kirsty skin they've been hearing so much about. If the film ended there, yeah, probably better. And this is this is a lot of it. So we'll get into it. So they chase around the house. Now this is where the budget concerns come up because there's a lot of shit animation, and at one point they couldn't even afford animation. So Kirsty comes across the body of Julia, and this doesn't make sense. She's somehow chained to the bed with the box in her hand. So she takes the box and begins solving it. And she's got no face. Yeah, no. So I don't. I felt like I missed a scene here. No, you, that's what I mean. It's weird because she dies, but and, and also the box is open. So did she then go to bed like with a dying breath? Oh, I really want to do a puzzle box before I die. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I didn't get this scene. I didn't. I, I genuinely thought the copy I watched this week had a as a scene no, missing. No, it's 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 not there. All right. It doesn't make that much sense. I I'm not even going to list. There are theories because. It, she did a deal with Leviathan that she could come back in the second film. Mm. However, it still doesn't make sense why not knowing that she did that in this instant, but you know, I don't want to get onto it. She takes the box, begins solving it, sending the hell priest back to hell. So the main, the main villain, the, the, the poster boy of your series, Pinhead out first. And he delivers a great line. He just pops up behind her and he says, we've such sights to show you. And then she, he turns around She's got the box. He goes, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, no, don't do that. And he's like, I will do that then. She takes out another, she takes out uh, the female centibite, but this female centibite does this great thing where she's running a knife along the wall yeah. and the knife is bleeding, the yeah. at the wall. I do like that. Uh, even taking out the <clears throat> chatterer, who I think is the most menacing looking because he's got no face. He's just got his teeth and he's constantly chattering. Uh, he's a fan favorite. Everyone loves the chatterer. I think he's been in it the second most amount of times other than Pinhead. Everyone loves the chatterer. It's great to see a version of the chatter in the 2022 Hellraiser as well. Um, the house randomly now starts falling apart. Well, what's Steve been up to since the sex scene in the middle of the film? Don't worry, he randomly shows up now for no reason. They're all in the house. There's only two left. <laughs> There's the butter bean one. But they didn't have enough budget. <laughs> they didn't have enough budget to animate his death. And by animate, I mean like draw squiggly lines on him. So they had some leftover debris. And oh, just it just got falls on him. <laughs> And that's why they just couldn't afford it. And then... Um, I like he takes his glasses off as well. His, his eyes are stitched closed. Which yeah. makes you think, why did you wear the glasses? Aesthetics. <laughs> so, He's mate, like, they just really bring out my mate, cheeks. He wanted to be cool. <laughs> like, Pinhead's got pins. Yeah. She's got gash in the throat. The other guy's got no eyes. He's like, I need to highlight my eyes. 
on all of that Morpheus in the uh, in Matrix. What's Matrix? Don't worry, twelve years it'll hey, come out. Do you remember? Do you remember the engineer? Well, the engineer from before shows up for one last disappointment before being sucked into the box. With everyone dead or vanished, Kirsty puts the puzzle box into a burning pile. But the vagrant that has been stalking Kirsty walks into the fire. The locusty in homeless man to retrieve the box, and while burning alive, <laughs> turns into a skeleton dragon thing. And flies away. Could make of that. And the film and the film ends as it began. We return to the Asian merchant from the start of the film in the same bazaar, bazaar, selling the box to yet another man. Right. Let's unpack a load of this. Yeah. If this was a standalone film yeah. that ended at the scene when Frank dies. Yes. I reckon I would think this this is a really good movie that I could watch time and time again and see different things of it and get a lot of what you're talking about. Yeah. The, I lose it a little bit with characters like the engineer. Yeah, no, weird the thing. Disappointing. The fact that that comes back at the end yeah, for a final scare. Yeah. Well, the engineer's um, a bigger part in the book, I'd like to point out. And then this whole like demon, skeleton, homeless man storyline. Yeah. I could do away with all of that. If it was a standalone movie, 90 minute flick, there was a there was a, there was a home horror movie, a how you know, set predominantly in a house, mm. out of towners, you know, fish out of water kind of scene with this weird box that brings across these demons that they were missold as being a pleasure box but actually was a torture box yes there's a real cult grisly you know graphic horror film there yeah but I I struggle with a lot of this film mm. and I, but I didn't it's I didn't make- hate it as much as I thought I was going to hate it rewatching it I love the layers upon layers of this film. Now, to me, I've got a problem, but I've also got an explanation in it. It's, it's one of these explanations that I'm finding in my head. I, it's not really a wild range popular. So I'm with you. If, if it ends with Frank dies, and then you see the homeless man go into the house after everyone's gone and retrieved the box. He doesn't turn into a skeleton mm. dragon thing. And then the, and it ends with the merchant selling the box again. I, I think that's genuinely perfect. The idea that the box has a guardian and it has to be somewhere. I love that. I think that makes sense. I have a big problem, especially in the second one, when you actually learn that there's a code. The Cenobites have a code. They don't just cut people up. Mm. So the second one's famous for, there's a doctor who's obsessed with the Cenobites and he tricks an autistic girl into opening the box. And the Cenobites come out, when she opens the box, they start you know, getting their weapons ready, ready to cut her up. And Pillow's like, no. And then the other Cenobites go, why? It's like, she didn't call us here. She opened the box, but she's not the reason we're here. We're here because this prick wants us here. So they're like, fuck it, all come to hell. So they don't go after the girl. They go after the person who basically put the girl in a position because he's got the desire to open the box, not her. So it shows that they've got like a code, which doesn't make sense because Kirsty does what they want. And then at the end of this film, they're like, right, get her. But I like to think of something else. And this is what I think, right? So the Cenobites aren't evil in their own heads, right? They are explorers of experience. They have treasures that they want to share with you, which is a reward for you opening the box. Now, I'm not saying it's right, Kirsty does them a favour by giving them back Frank. The line that Pinhead says is, we have such sights to show you. Not, I'm going to cut you up. He's like, I'm going to show you shit that's, you know, going to involve skinning you. But because he's explored experience, to him it's like the ultimate high, it's the ultimate rush. He's trying to get Kirsty because it's a reward. He's like, I want to give you this. Come with me. I'm not saying it's a perfect thing, but in my head, it, that's why he's doing it. Mm. So in the in my head, the ending works. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. So in my head, he's like, he's got this great gift. I can't wait to skin you. You're going to fucking love it. 
<laughs> best thing you've ever done. <laughs> best thing you've gone, mate. You've tried the rusty trombone. Yeah. But have you ever had your skin cut? <laughs> I, I think. I think the, it does. It is missing a scene of of uh, how, oh, how Julia gets on the bed. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. No, no, a pinhead like um, she got love these on a, on, a roller, on a roller coaster, <laughs> then bungee jumping, and then like eating a really hot chili, and then just go like, through all these different sensations, and, and then one like, day he just cuts himself. He's like, oh, fucking, hell, that was that was a bit different. <laughs> Oh, took away a bit too much skin, that. I'm he, bleeding, shit. He falls down and the pin gets stuck in his eyes. Like, and he, he's got a hard on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. mate, <laughs> I fucking love that shit. Um, God, I just need 50 more of these and I'm good. Uh, Hellraiser, to me, I love it. And it's one of these films that I think most people, it's not for them. If you don't like gore, this is a sort of film that gore is there for gore sake. You don't need the opening scene. You, you, implication in this film, the horror element that runs throughout the middle part of the film is foreboding. It's Frank. Frank is the horror and what he does. And, you know, he's a horrible, detestable person. The Cenobites come in at the end. There's a basis of like a, a day of smack in it. It's like, oh, how are we going to round this story up? Cenobites, <laughs> don't worry about it. Magical shit. If the story works for me because it's different. There's so many layers. Love it. Huge fan. But genuinely, I meet people all the time that don't like horror. And it's one of these films that you understand why immediately. You know the film Mother? Yeah, yeah. I don't like that, but I've never had anyone ever. You were like, no, I get why yeah, you don't I like that it, film. Yeah. But you, you don't under. You'll never question why I don't like it because mm. it's quite clear why I don't like it. Just like you don't like horror, I understand a hundred percent why you. I know Esther hates it. The two seconds she saw of it. Yeah, Stephen King was a big fan. Should have been. They called it the best, the best British horror as well, didn't they? Yeah, said uh, horror, but not slasher, which was, I think, kind of different at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it made a million, it was made on a million, made 20 million from the box office, God knows how much since. So, of course, it's going to scream sequel. And sequel territory is you have to go into backstory mythology. You have to give more, uh, more than the first allowed. And therefore, that's when it starts to get a little bit silly. In this case, nine sequels silly. Um, the studio wouldn't allow Hellbound Hearts as the title because it sounded too much like a romance. There were two alternative titles. Have you heard of these? Confessions of the Outer Space Killers or something. Uh, Sadomasochistic. From, other from Beyond the Grave. From Beyond the Grave, yeah. And then What a Woman Will Do for a Good Fuck. I thought that was fucking weird because that started off as a joke, but then they really liked it. And it, the idea that, that Julia does all this because she just misses banging Frank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that one. What a girl would do for a good fuck. Which would have been, let's be honest, if it had called out, mate, you'd have fucking loved this film. <laughs> well, you'd be disappointed it wasn't porn. Across the, across the world, it had different names. In Croatia, it was Lords of Hell. In France, it was The Pact. In India, it was The Son of the Devil. Mexico, it was Door to Hell. Portugal, it was crossed, uh, sorry, Cursed to Fire. And in Taiwan, it was Raise Ghosts and Eat People. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks the ghost. They Clyde, kind of eat the skin. Yeah, Clyde Barker had to rent books from the library on how to direct. I love that. But, but apparently the cast was really nice to him. The crew they didn't like take the piss mm. out of him. He, he like what was it he said he said he couldn't tell the difference between ten millimeter film or a plate of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he said he sees it more as a love story than a horror. Which all right, mate. You know, no. Um, the, he is, and I, and I love Clive Barker, but he's a bit pretentious like that. He's like, he's, he's oh, it's a, it's a love story. It's just not your normal love story. It's a love story between the dominant Frank and the submissive. Mm. He's like, no, it's not. He's about a film about people slicing people up. Yeah. Let's, let's not let's not get into it. A lot of people think this is an art film, as well. They think it's an art piece. They're like, no, it's a horror film. There's a lot of gore in it. There's a guy with pins in it. He skins people. Go over it. Apparently, the studio wanted the lead centre about Pinhead's character to be more like Freddy Krueger making jokes. <sighs> but Barker, what, yeah, Barker wanted him to be more like Dracula and calculated and chilling. Bradley wanted to play him, as I said earlier, stronger mentally and physically than the slasher kind of characters that we'd seen up until then. Um, you could also say that um, the, the, the Pinhead character was actually 
created much further back in 1973 when Barker wrote a play uh, called Hunters in the Snow. And there's a character in that called the Dutchman who's an undead torturer who in the play was played by... Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley's appeared in pretty much all of Clive Barker's short films as well. Yeah, so I know the one with Charlie Borman, the dentist one. I've heard you talk about it before. That I really want to see. Yeah, because to me that makes the most sense. That that's such a hot. That's when I when, I think I said it on a podcast, like episode mm. three. I was like, I oh, they've done a horror movie about a dentist, and you were like, they've done one. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, Charlie Borman goes in, and he's a obnoxious, uh, you know, busy businessman, and Doug Bradley's the the dentist, and he puts him under, and he and it's all POV from Charlie mm. Borman for when he gets in the chair. And then the end of the movie, he's like, how, you know, he gives him a mirror and he's like, uh, you know, how's this look? And when he turns back around, he's like sewing his mouth shut horrifically, like half his tongue's hanging out. And Ugh. yeah, it's a bit of a gross, gross ending. But yeah, it's just well, a short. Marker. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I've, no. I've, I've got some things here. So numerous, I think this is one of the ones that I genuinely think is the best because you see all these horror scenes. Just imagine a man laying on the floor. Numerous props of the box were made and due to the delicate construction, special effects designer Simon Sale would lie on the floor in case it was dropped and this would save him eight hours because it took him eight hours to construct a new one. Wow. Um, the original plan was for the series to focus on Julia as the villain and after the film and the sequel was successful, the plan was to follow Julia from submissive victim to leader of the Order of Gash. This was stopped by Claire Higgins' reluctance to return after the sequel and the popularity of Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley was not used to promote a film, but all of the shots of the film focused on the role. So you'd have the three actors, you know, Kirsty, Julia, and uh, Andrew Robinson, um, Larry. Um, they would promote the film, but then they'd always cut to the scene of Pinhead. Yeah. <laughs> but but Doug Bradley wasn't, because Doug Bradley wasn't a name that they were using to sell the picture. They, Pinhead wasn't the main focus. Yeah, well, I mean, Clive Barker didn't want him on the poster. Yeah. Which is which is weird. Frank on the poster. Which the is, the, the studio was like, no. And then, and but then, Clive Barker, well, why? He's like, well, why do you think? <laughs> but I, I get what Barker's saying. In 87, there wasn't, there wasn't internet and there wasn't like Twitter and stuff like that. He wanted Pinhead to be a reveal. Yeah. You know, so that people start talking about it, like, you wouldn't believe this villain that, you know, he's got these pins in his head uh, and for people to go and watch it, which I, I agree. I think if I went to the cinema and I didn't know that that was a character in this movie, like the, let's say the poster was like, you know, um, just like the picture of the box the, and like a yeah. horrified looking, looking Julia, like or, she's scared. Or, or, or the shadow of a Cenobite or something yeah. like that with a, with a, you know, a tri typical eighties tagline. Yeah. And then I was in the cinema and Pinhead come out. I'd be like, the fuck is this? This yeah. is metal as oh. It's like, um, I remember when I watched Mandy, which Mandy, the uh, Nick Cage movie, mm. you know, and again, fantasy enchanted horror movie, you know, that, that was the first part of that is a fairy tale. The two are living a solitary life in the woods when these demonic looking characters come through, yeah. through a cool. Um, I remember the reveal of those kind of villains and thinking, Christ, that, that's, that's pretty metal. That's scary as oh. Yeah. Um, so I've got more stuff. The original plans had Pinhead showing up at the end of Freddy vs. Jason, but this idea only existed in the first few drafts of the film. It's never actually filmed. I remember that, yeah. They were supposed to end up in hell and Chains was supposed to pull them apart and Pinhead was supposed to be so gentleman, what seems to be the problem here. However, it was only in the drafts that was never filmed, but due to the commercial success of that film, Hellraiser vs. Mike Myers was written and the, uh, basically it got funding, but then the producer who owned the rights to Halloween... Because didn't because uh, thing he sold them didn't he? Which is how it ended up in Bloomhouse. Uh, John Carpenter Carpenter, sold yeah. them. Uh, basically, the producer who owned the rights vetoed the idea after funding had just been approved. He went, no, nah. 
So they were going to do a spin-off of that. The film has been subject to reboot speculation since 2007 when Clive Barker was signed on to reboot the franchise along with Doug Bradley. The film would not be made as production company Dimensions wanted the series to drop art, to drop its artistic style and tone and focus on teenage audiences, which Clive Barker told Dimensions to go fuck themselves. I can see that. I mean, you got of all the things about Clive Barker, genius or, or, or whatever, whatever you think about him, he does seem... Switched on. He can't be bought. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I think I think he clearly has a vision. Yeah, and I like that. So Hellraiser hasn't been released in cinema since the fourth film. To keep the license, Dimensions would insert Hellraiser and Pinhead into already written and greenlit films. This was in order to keep the license. This was the case for Hellraiser 5 through to 8. And while Revelations was not a different film originally, it was written and shot over a matter of days just so Dimensions could keep the filming rights while it was trying to organise the remake. This was not. Th- this was the first film not to feature Doug Bradley as Pinhead, meaning that his eighth innings was his last appearance in his most titular role. Because to be honest, Doug Bradley exists for Pinhead and now that... Now that's done. He's, can, he's done. Can you name them all then, all the Hellraiser movies in chronological order? So I've got them written down from the movie. So is Hellraiser 2 Hellbound? Or is Hellbound Hellraiser Yeah, so two? Hellraiser in 87, Hellraiser 2 in 88. So straight off the bat. Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth. In 92. Hellraiser Bloodlines. 96. Hellraiser uh, Inferno. 2000. Hellra- now this is one I always get confused because I remember the storyline. Hellraiser is not Inferno. Can I come back? Deader. No, Deader's later. I don't know. It's Hellseeker. It's Hellseeker. Then it's Deader. Then it's Hell World. Then it's Revelations. Then it's Judgment. Yeah. And and, and as I said, I've seen one, two, and one about a hotel. Is it, is is Hans, is Superman in it? (laughs) I can't remember. I just remember a guy, the main guy towards the end, got a chain through his neck and then it opened up like a blade and then they pulled it back and he cut his head off. Yeah, the the Inferno, the fourth one. Oh, is it the fourth one? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, something about the building a hotel. and, and yeah. I've, I've got a little splits on the next ones if you want me to go through them quickly. You can do, yeah. Uh, Hellraiser 2. Dr. Chenard is obsessed with the Cenobite world and resurrects Julia. Kirsty is haunted by images and decides she needs to save her father from hell. Eventually, it's discovered that the Cenobites were once human. So that gives them the morality. And you know you said you needed to go into a storyline. Uh, Backstory. Spencer Elliott was a captain in the First World War and he saw like... You saw the 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 wastefulness of life during the war. PTSD, isn't it? PTSD. This, yeah. So he sought out the box so he could feel again, which led him. To, the, the, and then the comic books go into a story which I will not go into because I refuse to believe the canon because they're fucked up. I like the idea that the man saw war, became numb to the world, and sought out the box because that to me is brilliant. Mm. In the end, he basically stands up. He tries to save Julia, and so do all the Cenobites, and they go to fight Doctor Chenard, who's like the next level Cenobite. He's just been created. And, he, and they, they're bitches. They all die instantly. However, there's some great reveals. They're all reverted to human just before they die. And the chatter, I remember, yeah, I remember this. And scene, the yeah, yeah. turns out to be a kid. And because the, the, the chatter dies, and then he's he's stuck on. You know they've got that box with mm. bits on it, and it rotates. The chatter is stuck on it, and it rotates. And on the final revolution, he turns out it's like a young boy. And it, it, again, it, that's more horror than the epic uh, than the gore. You're like, yeah. oh fucking, that was a kid. You're like, that's horrible. Um, love that. But then the end. It's end- horrible. Love it. <laughs> the ending is the uh, the box comes out of like the bed <laughs> because they have a they have a cameo the one of the movers from the first films back in it. Oh. And then the third film set in America. He's Kirst- like, bring me more beer. <laughs> in the third film, Hell on Earth, Kirsty is gone, and now we're in America. Due to the events of the second film, Pinhead is no longer bound to his humanity or the box and wants to kill a fucked on the people. For no reason. It's Hollywood film. It's a, it turns generically. F- a slasher, Hellraiser 4 Bloodline, a history of the blocks and the bloodline of the boxes maker and their attempts to rid the world of evil that it brought on the world. Set in 
1796. Space. Oh. <laughs> Set in space, uh, Bloodline chronicles through flashbacks the family struggle to save humanity. What's one of the most off-putting things about this is the main character who's interviewing the box maker, the, the, the descendant from the box maker, is called Rimmer at a time when Red Dwarf would have been its most popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking irritating. Um, this is an Alan Smithy film. So after massive interference from the production oh, company, Smithy, yeah. the director left and yeah. the film was a fucking disaster. Yeah, Alan Smithy strikes again. If yeah. anyone doesn't know that reference, listen to this, is where the director wants to remove themselves from a project, but they're still going to release it. Yeah. They release it under the direction of Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy. So Hellraiser Inferno, a corrupt cop, discovers the box, but at the end it is revealed that he's living in a personal hell created by Pinhead and relives the same series of events for all eternity's shit. See that concept as a sequel or or as a is I mean you got you know we live in a world where there's like ten Saw movies yeah. and that sounds straight out of a Saw four. So the problem is once you get to Hellraiser three, they drop that he's an explorer of, of emotion and he's a slasher. He's just now. a slasher. He's yeah. just a slasher. Um, Hellseeker is actually one of the worst. So Hellseeker, pretty much the same story as Inferno, except Kirsty's in it. And it turns out that Pinhead has wanted Kirsty for fucking years. Who's Kirsty? Kirsty's the main character from the first two. Oh, she back? No, yeah, she's in in this film. It basically, it turns out that Pinhead has basically been, it's been throwing the box into her direction as much as possible because he wants her so he, she's the one that got away. He's like, I want Kirsty. So he manipulates the her husband to get it. But then, but, so bear in mind, right, he spent all this, he spent years trying to get Kirsty back. Kirsty opens the box. Pinhead's like, I'm going to get you. Finally got you. Kirsty's like, I'll give you some more souls instead of me. I'll give you my husband and the people she'd be cheating on. And Hellray, and Pinhead's like, yeah, right. <laughs> Fucking pointless, mate. Waste time. Turns Kirsty, one of the best characters in horror. I love Kirsty. I think she's great. She's innocent. Turns her into a fucking premeditated murderer. But yeah, I was going to say, because if she offered, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fucking horrible. It's yeah, shit. It completely not... ruins the character. Um, mm. Hellraiser Deader, one of the worst titles I think I've ever heard. <sighs> it's up there with Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Yeah, right. A reporter is sent to Bucharest to investigate a group of people who were able to come back from the dead. It is revealed the leader of this cult was a descendant of the family that created the box. Pointless film. A lot of it's a, you know that film where he's like, you're not sure if you're dreaming, you're seeing a dream. It does that about 80 times. It's like, oh, it's a dream. So if you take away the dream sequences, she's been in Budapest for about 20 minutes. Mm. Um, there is an awesome scene where she's supposed to be dead, but she's alive and she's trying to get something out of her back, like a knife that she can't grab. That's cool because it's different. Mm. Hellraiser Hellworld, taking place in the real world. Jesus Christ. Hellraiser is a franchise that has spawned into an M-O-R-P-G. So the characters are very knowledgeable and break the fourth wall fucking constantly. Not even Superman can save this shot. <laughs> So this one stars um, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Lance Henriksen. Hellraiser Revolutions. Revelation, sorry. Shot in two weeks. Awful reimagining of the first film. The worst actors in the world. The worst writing. All round shit. <laughs> you can tell I was getting bored at the end of this. The actor who played Pinhead did such a bad job that he was not well received. <laughs> no it, jokes. It was terrible. He was. I think he's not an actor anymore. He got fucking ruined. It was... Um... It was shot, uh, it was shown in one's theatre. Once. Yeah. yeah. As as a screening for staff, but you could buy a ticket if you weren't a member of staff. No one was ever watching that shit. That is mental, isn't it? Um, and the last one that came out in 2018, up until now, having worked as a makeup artist on several Hellraiser films and wrote Hellraiser Revolutions, fans were happy when Gary J. Tunnicliffe was announced as the director. So on Deader, the DVD, there is a short. It's, it doesn't star Doug Bradley. It stars um, Gary Tunnicliffe as... Pinhead, and he's trying to, he's reminiscing. He's sat in a, he's sat on a throne in hell, and he's talking about how audiences, people today, won't play with the box. So he's, he's, he gives like this great monologue about how fear of death is dying. We no longer feel as a species, and it's actually quite well received. It was 
quite well shot because thought had gone into it. It wasn't another film that Hellraiser had been like wedged into. Mm. However, so he promised a brand new story. He wanted to produce a true Hellraiser film and was annoyed by all the sequels, but he fell out with Doug Bradley. The fans turned on him. And when it was discovered that Tunnicliffe was shoehorning Hellraiser into a film concept that he had tried to, he kickstarted, he tried to fund the film and kickstarted. And then when that didn't get the money, he basically turned it into a Hellraiser film. And it was a massive piece of shit. It's better than the other ones, but it's still shit and fuck this film. And that was all up until 2022 when weirdly Disney now have the rise to this fucking film. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's quite an interesting time to be alive, isn't it? In, in the sense that we are back in familiar territory of a reboot, a uh, sequel, uh, a new retelling. It, I, yeah, okay. This, this, no spoilers. No spoilers because no people spoilers. probably haven't seen this movie yet. And also it's not worldwide released yet. No. So... so what did you think of the remake? Because this is more your bag than my bag. So what you've got is... So the most important thing to remember is the rules have changed. So the rules of the first hours have been played with. Mm. You know, there are... We alluded to earlier. You have to... You, there are decisions. You have to be more an active part of it. You can't deny. You can't say, oh, I wasn't playing the game. You now know that you are playing the game. You need to make choices. I would say that um, the director, David Bruckner, apparently did The Night House, which is a great horror film. Did VHS as well. I haven't seen either of those. Um, he understood it. He understands the point of the film he's making. It's brilliant. It, Pinhead is back to being scary. Like, I would say that Jamie Clayton did a phenomenal job. She, Pinhead, I thought was great. A great presence. Not over the top. Not It doesn't outstay their welcome. And Odessa Azarin, who plays the main character, a drug addict, Weirdly explains the choices that she makes in the film because she's chasing a high, she's chasing something. It, it makes sense to me. Um, and it does that thing as well, which is missing. And I, I, I do like Goran Vistanovich. He's a great human arsehole. <laughs> Not as good as Frank, but he's an arsehole. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I loved it. I don't think it's as good as the original or the sequel because I don't agree with the choices they make because some of the rules are different. I don't like that. But as a fan, your franchise must grow. It must adapt. I understand that. I thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, the this the, the film is targeted now more to teenage audiences, yeah. and and it and it is somewhat slasher. It does reek of reboot, remake, and uh, two thousand and twenty two retelling. The, this it is very much along the lines of the reboot of like the Freddy Krueger movie, you yeah. know, where where you get. Um, Opening sequences of uh, familiarity. Oh, there's the box. It's, it's a modern yes. version. It moves differently. We as an audience know what's going to happen if they keep pushing about with it. You get so, they little, add, so they add something different in it. It's yeah. Like, but you get I want to speak to Leviathan. And you're like, oh my God, different. But you get a teaser of what's to come. You see a little bit to whet the appetite. Then we meet our main character. It goes through kind of a, a very... I think formulaic story. Oh, of, it's very formulaic. Yeah, but, but weirdly, because the franchise hasn't been relevant for so long, it was kind of nice to see that it was a bit formulaic. They, they have to kind of like tease out the storyline, and then they do the thing that every remake does: is where they have to investigate because the police don't, um, the police won't believe him, or it's too far fetched that their family won't believe him, or whatever it is, and they have to become detective and figure out well, why is this here and who is in, who has the lease to the building that it was found in, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's always really easy, isn't it? <laughs> No, no one's like, oh, the f oh exactly. my god, there's so much red tape exactly. here. <laughs> and and uh, but I, I must admit, I was even though it did it did it did very much feel like a reboot. Then its own standalone movie, yeah. which is hard to do given the fact that it is called Hellraiser. Yeah, straight up, straight up. It, you know, it, it did feel like it added to 
the franchise or the idea yeah. more so than my limited knowledge of the sequels. And with a fresh splatter of paint, it's much more watchable yes. than the 87 film. And weirdly less gory. Like there, there's still some mm. gore, but but why I would say that the franchise was always like famous for just having a bit of gore. Like the fucking hell, the film opens with him putting Frank's face together, which isn't necessary. Whereas this film, like the gore is only in the moments where it's actually gory. What I don't like, the bit that makes me uncomfortable is is the the design of Pinhead has. So she has like like jewels inside her skin. And that makes me uncomfortable. That's really cool because mm. I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable because that's the idea is I don't get, you know, pleasure or, and they go back to that idea that there is a prize, you know, that the pain's worth the pleasure. You know, they're, they're, I loved it. I When I say I loved it, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think it was a great film. I guess why I loved it so much was because it was actually, a, finally I got another good Hellraiser film. Mm. And Hellraiser is a franchise that has two good films, one okay film. And what was it like? seven shit films that should all go in the, the fucking pit. And it was finally nice to see another film come out recently. And it, I hope it does well because I want to say sequel. I've genuinely, mm. I've, it was finally great to see another Pinhead because one of the things is, well, Doug Bradley should have let go of that a while ago. And that must be hard. You it know, it's your hard. baby. When you wrote it, directed it, you've, yeah. you'd have wrote the short story. You know, I, I just think about it. it must be hard for, you know, the likes of... Um, you know, you think of George Lucas. Oh, okay, seven billion pounds easier than yeah. to, to get rid of it. But, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, their baby, yeah. their their originality, their IP that they are selling, and then giving the confidence that someone's going to pick it up and run with it. And and I think Hellraiser. I think this. I suppose the question is: Is it necessary? And I suppose this is because exactly what you've just said. It kind of resets the timeline of Hellraiser mm. in that we're back on track now. Yes. Versus the embarrassingly pathetic. Because, you know, even the Jason movies did that, where by the time you get around to Jason X, it is done. Yeah. It is done. The nail is in the coffin. And their reboot didn't spawn the sequels and the energy and the enthusiasm. It did a few cool niche things in it that you're like, oh, I didn't think it was going to do that. But yeah, this, I think, added enough new, but felt also, it also felt very modern as well. Like they, 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 if you took out the character, you know, the characters that we know from the movies and you, and you just made it, um, you know, you just, someone fucks about with something, anything, yeah. and these demon things come to kill you. It could be any one of the movies that you see come out in October. You know, you're um, the unholy, the undead, the, uh, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> the generic scary name. It's just that it happens to be a Hellraiser movie. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it again because I've been kicked in the nuts so much. And I, I genuinely think that Hellraiser fans are, is that they've stuck around for some shit. Mm. You know, they love the film that came out in 987. It's 2022. They deserve this. They, they're the one of the fan bases, which I genuinely, I, as a fan, I've loved them. And I've never sat down before after the second one and gone, I'm really looking forward to watching this Hellraiser film. Even when mm. fucking Judgment came out and everyone was telling me, oh, it's, it's returned to form. I was like, no, it's fucking not. Mm. It's called Judgment. It's like one of the most generic fucking names in the world. But it was, it was nice to say that, what, after 30, 40 years, I was rewarded for my loyalty to a franchise by actually watching a film that had some effort put into it, had some good acting. I genuinely, I loved the style of it as well. Mm. I loved the box. The box is... That's very cool. It's, it's cool. It, that, and I loved that being different. Yeah, and there's some scenes in this as well where, um, as we were talking about with the first movie, certainly in, in this one as well, Odessa as Zion? Design, yeah, yeah. something like that. She's phenomenal. I really liked her. When, when she's got the box, there is that... Um, 
you know, that I don't know what this is, but I'm kind of addicted to to playing with it well, and really- figuring it out. And and I like as well that this one has like a booby trap in it. Yes. So that is a mild spoiler, but... Well, they, they, I don't want to get into too much, but, but she also... And no, I, I think that's too much of a spoiler, so I will show up. But, um, but yeah. I, I do like the box. The box is a character, isn't it? Yes. It, and it is a... It's, it, I mean, that and in, in horror as well, I think that box is... You show any horror fan that around the world and automatically yeah. they're like, fucking don't touch that thing. And what I really like about it, just on the end, it's got some great Easter eggs in it. Why I called it retooling, not a reimagination? Because you've got these diaries of these people obsessed over the box. And, and in it, it says, the lead centre by appeared to me as a woman this time, implying that, oh, Hellraiser from before could still exist. Mm. There's enough in there to, it's got Easter eggs. I've, and I hate, you know, I sit on this podcast and I'm a hypocrite because I go, oh, I fucking can't stand Easter eggs. Apparently, I love them in Hellraiser. <laughs> so, you like them when they're in things you like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't like them when they're in things you don't yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's my problem with Ready Player One. It's just Easter eggs. But in this film, fucking love them, mate. I was, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed more it more so than I thought I was going to. And I probably enjoyed it more than the original <laughs> because... Oh. I know, I'm sorry. Um, cool. That That's our Hellraiser episode. I suppose um, the next question is to say, does it belong in the vault? I would say... I would say yes, and my argument would be that... Oh, Pin is a horror icon, but you can't really explain why. Because they're, they're, they're so different from everyone else. However... If our films were the very, very best, say a nuclear fallout happened. Oh, I know, because I would still argue because it's different, it deserves to be in there. However, we both have to agree on it. And I think it's fair to say that it's not everyone's bad cup of tea. So it's one of these ones that I happily accept won't be in. Well, I think I'm willing to compromise. Ooh, I've go. got, but there's two parts to this. Okay. Is Hellbound better, the sequel? I, I think that I, it's my personal favorite. I think it is better purely because I like the lore it adds, but I'm. I think the audience is kind of split on that. So my other part of that is I'm willing to put it on a lower dusty corner of the vault, but that does give me free pass later on down the line to put something in. Uh, I want to raise in it because I'd, I'd love that. Can, you won't notice it, but I'll smuggle two DVDs and I get a second one in there. However, we haven't fed the pit in a while and I will put films four through to nine in there. Mm. So that's Fair play. yeah the bloodlines all the way through to judgment. You can fuck right off. Fair play. Yeah. I um, Yeah. Yeah, I do. So I'm just, the more I think about the remake, the more I think it towed a very fine line of being like any generic horror movie that comes out nowadays. Yeah. Um, Don't get me wrong. I think it's a good foundation to set up an even, I guess, I guess what I want is I'm excited to see now that they've done this and and I I think the majority of people have been quite happy with it. mm. They're like, oh my God, Hellraiser, the the pinhead's back. They're like, oh my God, it, it works. It gives them a solid foundation mm. so they can actually do something with it, whereas before they could do nothing with it. So here, here's, here's what I mean by that. Last year, on in December, in October, sorry, I watched a lot of like escape room style yeah. ho- modern horrors, like Escape Room, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Yeah, there was another that. movie called Escape Room. And this almost felt like that because it had a puzzle element to it yeah. and a game element to it. I think that's where my head's been split. Is it's And because of the effects and the acting and... There's the the arc of the storyline and the characters and the kind of three acts that it goes through are very similar and blueprinty throughout those movies. I think that's a shame. It's almost like me saying, if those movies didn't exist, I probably would have enjoyed this much more. And I did enjoy this, but I think their movies have kind of tarnished my opinion of this a little bit. Do you know what, That's really weird. Like, yeah, no, I get that. Even though they came out way before. Uh, Hellraiser 2022 is not, a, it's not, it's not even, you know, Borderline's not even a good film. It's an acceptable film, but I like it so much because it, it gave breath to a franchise that needed it. So 
So I understand exactly what you're saying. It's, it's, it's quite generic, especially bearing in mind Hellraiser set itself apart, the original, for being so different. This is very samely, but in a weird way, it needed to be. Because if, if we had another fucking director sequel, mate, I'd have done... I'd, I, and I'll done. give you that. I'll give you that. That's actually a standout point. You're right. I hadn't. I haven't seen anything like the first Hellraiser movie. Yeah, and there are probably people out there going, "Boy, you haven't seen anything." When it comes to horror, there are, you know, oh, yeah. worlds of pain and pleasure um, in in the uh, in the horror community in the horror world. But you're right. I mean, the movies that were coming out in the seventies and eighties, in terms of that, it, it is very very different to the other things that were coming out. So again, that's cinema is about pushing boundaries, isn't it? And yeah. as you can't deny that Hellraiser certainly did that. So. Again, I'm always looking for positives. There Not my cup of tea, but Some I can ones. respect it. There you go. Oh, oh my God. Next week, we're going to do a monster mashup. So we're going to look at uh, vampires, werewolves, mummies, those kind of things, those creatures. We're going to a bit more of a deep dive into more of the vampire stuff. Mm. But we are going to ask the question, who would win in the Battle Royale of all those classic um, monsters that yeah. we don't see much of nowadays. So we'll be looking at strengths, weaknesses. How would you fight one? What's your plan mm. for dealing with them? And then we'll look at some lessons learned from movies. So, and also it's important to note this as well, that fortunately, mate, vampires, they, they may have changed over the years. They've gone from hideous creatures lurking in the shadows to a hundred year old man that still goes to school. Sexy vampire. <laughs> still don't get that. Why does everyone ignore that? Oh, he's, he's fucking lived for hundreds of years. Why is he still at school then? And you know, you don't get it with other ones, do you, as well? Like, fucking how swamp things evolved to be like some sexy stench creature. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, fucking look at the mummy. Look at the way he wraps himself. God. Vampires turn sexy. No one else did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leader of the pack. There's, there's nothing sexier than a werewolf that you've got to fucking shed your yeah. skin for its sex. It's like, oh, just get this, get, get this mat out. Oh, of look, at his, look at his hairy, bloody forearms. Yeah. <sighs> Frankenstein. Oh, your scars. Ooh. <laughs> Well, Frankenstein's Frank monster, I apologise. Before anyone has a fucking go at me, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, Frankenstein's only is, he's going to save it for next week, but he's only as good as his stitching, isn't he? <laughs> That's actually a really good you know point, I mean? yeah. Like, he is. What, what part of, if you, if you died and part of you had to make up a Frankenstein, what part would you want to donate? I've got nice legs. <laughs> Both of them? Yeah, yeah. I think he's got to be, hasn't it? He's yeah, I've got gorgeous legs. I do, you know what, yeah. And I've got good eyes, actually. You can give your eyes to Frankenstein. Yeah, well, Am I still alive? No, no, no. You're dead. You, oh, they, 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 yeah, you, you can know. have my legs. I'm, I'm proud of my legs. I'd be happy. They're going to grave dig and they're going to rob your legs. I'd be happy to know that that my legs had lived on in the, in the form of a monstrosity. <laughs> dancers' legs. I've got long dancers' legs. I think I'd give my vocal cords. Yeah. I'm, I, I need so this voice. I need this voice to keep going. <laughs> Fuck it. Just I'll, I'll frank all. Give me the skin. <laughs> And as you can tell, easily would then be a replica of me because that's how skin works, right? That is how skin works. Uh, that's been our show for this week. Do let us know what you think of Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, any of the sequels, and of course, the reboot, the remake that has just come out at the moment on Hulu. Um, hopefully coming to Disney Plus at some point. <laughs> the, the fans demand it. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be able to watch The Little Mermaid. Then <laughs> That's our show for this week. I mean, James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye. <laughs>